Hello, welcome to Smiley's. Tonight we're discussing chapters uh, 15 and 16 of Forge of Darkness by Steven Erickson. Yeah. I'm, uh, this is obviously a summary episode, not a discussion episode. People don't know this, but we've forgotten to actually add the spoiler scope for a while now, so we're going to remember to do this here. Spoilers Miles and Book of the Fallen, spoilers of the Miles and Empire, and spoilers up to and including chapter 16 of Forge of Darkness. No further. I am joined by Mora. Hello, Mora. Hi, Lee. How's how are you? Uh, these chapters are big, so, but so I'll say fine, but not great. They're not that fine. Yeah, not that fine. Yeah. You? I'm okay. I can't believe that we're almost like towards the end. Yeah. Because we only have four more chapters, so that's two more. Two episodes. Two yeah. just summary two, two discussions. Sense, two recordings. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you get the idea. Yeah. You get get the idea as well. <laughs> so yeah. It's rude to point, you know. I'm sorry. Not point. Sorry, sorry. I'm not right. like gaze longingly at the camera next time. Oh sorry. God! It's been a while since you brought up rugged charms and yeah, you know, because I don't have like them that. anymore. You know, I like shave them away. Please let's start. Let's shall we begin? I can't. Yeah, we probably Japan. should. <laughs> These are big enough on their own. We don't. They don't need yeah. us to um by the runtime. Yeah. So just before we start, fifteen. I just want to say when I read it for the first time. Chapter 15 was like one of the toughest chapters for me. And that miscommunication is when we started talking on the sub, actually. Because I said 15 is my most favorite chapter in entire Malazan. And you forgot the number and you said, yes, yes, mm-hmm. it's my favorite too. Because you actually meant 14. But no, 15 is the one because it was just dreadful. That entire sense of dread. We know what has happened with Anastia. And we know that the discovery is yet to occur. I think you can tell me in better terms which... Aristotle used mm. in his poetics and all that. But the thing is, we know what is going to happen. Do, and the dread was just... Do you want me to know? Yeah, you can, you can. Please. Please do. Oh, uh, yeah. That's called tragic I irony. technical terms. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, the, okay. the audience knowing something that the characters do not. It's called tragic irony. Right. So, I was just waiting for the, the ball to <clears> drop, right? So, it was very dreadful. And I just... It was extremely difficult to read the first time. But now, now that I know what is going to happen, it is actually not bad. There's only that one scene, mm-hmm. and that scene is... There's not much, like, graphic stuff or cringy stuff. It's mostly just people talking. But is what we're know, here for. But you know what is going to happen, and you already have been set up that Anderist is going to, like, lose his shit when, this, when he's going to find out. But he sort of takes it, you know, he's not that broken about it. He, It's not like he becomes Kataspala's uh, type of grief, right? It's just grief. It's just, like, normal, expected grief. So, anyway, it, it was uh, even more enjoyable on the second time. And his... His remains are number one. Do you dispute this? <laughs> oh, you do. Fine. No, no, really. I know. You had some objections, but I don't think you have any more now. But okay, scene one. We'll begin. Scene one is... I'm not sure where this place is, but at some place, General Hust has prepared the sword, which the first son of darkness had ordered, which was a silent Hust blade. And uh, this we see through Kalaris's POV. Yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> I just prefer going. So, um, in chapter 14, I think it was right, in chapter right before this, is um, Kalaspala thinking, how will Anamander answer this? Yeah. And the chapter begins with uh, first sword, take uh, first son, take the sword uh, in your hands, yeah, which yes. is like, okay, there you go. Oh, this is good. We take a weekly break, and so we might miss out such stuff, right? It's good, good. Good have noted that. So, anyway, this is what happens. And by now, Rake is... I, I'll, when I say Rake, just understand that I mean Anamander Rake. And not the other brothers, because Rake is there, right? So now he is uh, pitch black in color, and he has white hair. And I think by now we should re- 
you, you, I think you'll agree with me that this episode should have been sponsored by Pantene or something. It's just endless descriptions of his hair, which is like shimmering and rainbow colored and looks like rain and looks this. It, it's, it comes up like five times, I think. I don't know. So this is Anamander now. And once once he's given the sword, he doesn't like reach for it immediately. And Heneral wonders, like, is there a problem? Like, are you not happy with this? And he says that, you know, the tongue of this blade has been severed right at the root. But if it has any voice, only he can hear it. And Drake says, yeah, I can hear it. So the plan is now to take this to Mother Dark for her blessing. Uh, Silka says that if they all go there, Heneral has will become midnight skinned again, like the others. And then Anamander asks um, Anderis, what do you think of this blade? You know, initially I thought that this was supposed to be a gift again to Anderis, but it's only this time I realized that no, no, it is his own sword. I thought that, you know, like the Hearthstone, this was also a gift for him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that is a mistake. Now, Anderis is sitting there impatiently because he has to go. He's getting he wedded. Yeah. yeah. And he says that, you know, what does the blade call itself? That's more important. You can, you can interrupt me. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Go on. But and Anamander says, no, he only hears the promise of purity. He doesn't call itself by any name. And then Heneral says that this blade demands the purest hand. This is something we've read in House of Chains before. When he was, you know what, I can hear my own echo. Is it gain high or your volume high? Probably both. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so this is this what we have already seen in House of Chains. Like, you know, when Anderis hands over this word, he says that you have to have the purest of intentions when you touch this blade. And in the hands of a king, a king can become a tyrant. In the hands of a tyrant, he can become an abomination. And in the hands of the broken, he will break all that he touches. This is a little sad if you think about it. So then he explains that he made this weapon in the first forge. So the first forge is something where the first fire was formed by the dog run, even before the dog runners. Like it was formed by the Aresel people who have now gone down south to, I don't know, Savannah regions or something. And he says that one day, Heneral Hust will be a child again. Because a child is pure and he wants to know if Mother Darkness is, Mother Dark's darkness, whether her power is actually pure or not. Um, and will her blessing be like that of a child? This is what he wants to know. Now, my question to this Heneral Hust guy is, has he met any children? Like, <laughs> no, I don't know. If you if you met people, then you'll know that children are not like pure things or anything. They're brutal. They're mean, mean people. So anyway, Rake is irritated by now and he says, I don't know anything about Mother Dark's power. You should just ask her. By this time, Anderist has had enough. He tells Rake just either take it or deny it. Be as simple as a child. And then Rake says that every ch- child wants. Oh my God. Oh, please carry on. <laughs> so every child wants, but not all wants need to be you know, answered. With this one statement, I want to say that Rake is not the shittiest father. With this one statement. No disputes allowed for this. So anyway, then he finally, he takes up the sword and says that, yeah, let's go to Mother Dark. Kellerus and Galarbaras are going to accompany them. And Anderis will go and meet PND. I'm not attempting. PND at the gate. Silkus has a meeting with Skarabandaris and then he'll join them and everyone leaves. This whole scene, this type of a sequence, it's like a stage play, don't you think? To mm-hmm. me, this whole chapter 15, at least the, the things happening inside the citadel, it was set up very Shakespearean way because things happen in limited locations and the dialogue is very like statement type of dialogues or, like meant for an audience type of dialogue. It is not like <clears throat> cash making. Yeah. Like a quote is like um in the hands of a ty- of a tyrant he become 
in the hands of a king, he becomes tyrant, not a tyrant. And in the hands of a, yeah, they in don't. The hands of a tyrant, he is made abomination. In the hands of the yeah. local, he breaks all the religious. It doesn't even use like proper, you know, conjugation and stuff. It, it's more, it's more archaic forms, right? So. Yeah. So anyway, now they start walking, and because they're walking, they have to do some thinking. And Caleb starts thinking about how the city and the whole citadel, everything is in confusion after this this thing happened, right? And right now there are no more boats on Dorset Rill. All the boat people have disappeared, and High Priestess Sintara has fled. Deniers are being murdered, and there are rumors about the Legion. Kundral is missing, and so far nobody has done anything. Not the highborn, not the first son, no one. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, Kilaras thinks he is uh, distracted. That probably Rake is distracted, distracted by his brother's wedding, <laughs> since they don't have a father. He is standing in the place of the father and you know doing all the work. And then he thinks of the deniers, and this is what I was bringing up last week that they have the color of whatever ground they squat on. And they have eyes the color of streams and bogs. And we decided they are slightly racially divergent from the Taist and not pure Taist. So that's one more reason why deniers are being targeted. And so anyway, they are very unsophisticated people, according to Kalaras. And he does he can't believe that they are, you know, part of some grand conspiracy to go around killing high bonds and anything like that. And right now the citadel is still damp and moldy. Henerald even comments that his mother are still being assailed. And Rake says, No, this is not a battle or anything it's just that she's indifferent and even the path that leads to her has no reverence or anything and then he asks what about the temples how are the temples mm-hmm. sanctified Rake says that if the priests and priestesses if their zeal was enough then those places would be sanctified by now slut shamer then all of a sudden Rake stops and asks where is the Hust legion right now and when did you last hear from them that's all he asks and this is what you know this is why we say Malazan is competency porn because he just asks and starts walking away and Henerald tells Galar Baras to start riding and meeting uh, and to bring news to Toras Redon, right? And Galar has no idea what is going on. He asks what message he has to deliver and he's, you know, he's scolded by Henerald. Keep your wits sharp, just like Jane scolded Krill in the last chapter that, you know, pay attention to politics. This is something I just really enjoy. <laughs> so he says civil war has begun and now Mother Dark calls upon the Hust Legion and this is what we need to do. And their weight will give pause to Urusander. That's the plan. And Rake says that, you know, this none of this is happening with Urusander's knowledge. And you know what Henerald calls that? It's only someone who knows his warhorse well would have given it free reign, you know. Mm-hmm. And then but Mandy says, no, maybe he's, you know, he's well, still if, on yeah, the warhorse. If Conral is a warhorse, then uh, best pray that he holds on tight because he does truly uh, ride blind. Blind. And Urusander being blind is like brought up extremely, I don't know, like repeatedly being blinded. Urusander specifically, not just others, but him specifically. Too much light is blinding, right? So, Henerald asks if his faith is being questioned. He will not address that. And Henerald asks, you know, uh, just before they reach, uh, one more time, Anamanda stops him and asks, you know, once we enter, you will not be the same man who exits. And Henerald says, you know, he doesn't care about his yeah, king. Is my faith dark. to be questioned on the threshold of a power? Yeah. And he says, you know, it's not, not <clears> just <throat> Skin changes, but you are going to be a changed man. And then finally, I don't know, Henry no brings and says something like, he is holding the blade like it's a child, and he is like a terrified father. And then he asks Galarbaras to like bear the weight of an old man for this. And Galarbaras being being him, he says, no, he will bear the strength of his lord's will, and he will not yield. Then they start going, and Henry wonders if bonds like this, 
between the past and the future between father and son if such things could be severed by a blade like this one okay so we'll move to scene 2 <clears throat> which is a fun one because it calls back to midnight tides the prologue of midnight tides so we have silkus oh. <laughs> placing a hand on scara's back and the man flinches and then they are you know overseeing this 20 jalek hostages and nobody knows what to do the citadel doesn't want them and they're wondering like you know what do we do with this and they wonder who asked these people to send hostages then they think it must be some smart negotiator who just added this demand not expecting them to actually follow through but now they have done and they have sent these hostages and nobody is you uh, know nobody has a plan for them then they start talking some unrelated things and they say something like you know they will run far away and fall side by side under dark skies but it would be welcome because of the company and all sorts of things which do not track with the world policy character assassination to one say you not my tell captain us your hashtag <laughs> i thought it was not, not my, my captain. blood eye no okay oh yeah that too not my blood eye captain how to he's also a captain um how the track though like how it is pretty much the same guy we see in the book of the fallen so okay i i don't remember much of seeing how this well he is a cracking white jacket like okay that doesn't say very much but you know <laughs> yeah sure he's cracking white jacket for what number 2 number 3 number 7 uh, 1 of 14 okay so anyway they talk all this and then they decide that let's give all these hostages to kagamandra tulas as a wedding gift because yeah. he is marrying someone who is too young and too beautiful for him so this is what i mean all this is like fun stuff if you're not thinking about what is going to happen at the end of the chapter but because i had i was so caught up in nstr which was really hard to get through the first time now it's fine then uh, then you know they think that maybe this pups will enliven him he can become more engaged with life and all that and iskara one uh, you know as a throw away he asks silkus like why are you still like white in color and he says no idea he also had knelt along with all the others and pledged himself but even then his skin is not turned color and iskara just asks you know are you without doubt or something silkus just shrugs and looks away he doesn't bother answering so you can take it however we want and then he wants to rejoin his brother skara is going to write a note to gagamandra and uh, right north to join his company who are sitting tight in the forest following their captain's mm-hmm. orders doing nothing right yeah yeah and Let's then they go. discuss discuss all the rumors going on and skara says he wants none of it killing deniers to bring back the legion is an unworthy cause and he doesn't want it and silkus also mentions yeah it's oh, oh. <laughs> right yeah And then are you are we going to get a defense of Scaravandere anytime soon? No, probably not. I mean, we don't need it. He appears in the prologue many times and then never again. So okay. So anyway, uh, Scara mentions that Usandere is being led like a blind man. Once more, one more thing about blind. Then they say goodbye, and as they're leaving, do you know what happens? Do you know what happens? Two of the pups start fighting, the teeth flashing, yeah, and yeah. forest yeah. flying, and all that. I don't know. I don't know why. this had to show up here anyway this happens now scene 3 where do we go hishtula from her main house she has come to her side house which is a city house this is so distracting yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry yeah then she has uh, she has received an invitation to be a date at andrew's wedding from anumandarai yeah but then mm-hmm. she thinks that it was sent out of pity and she doesn't bother replying and it's been a few days so maybe he's forgotten about it all sorts of you know normal thoughts she has all these normal thoughts and then uh, she also thinks about her reflection just like emerald 
and she's jealous of that woman who she sees but she doesn't want to catch her eye at all because it would be i don't know she's weird about all these things she prefers not to look at herself that's the whole thing and then she has work to do she's not a you know not a jobless woman one maid grandmother has drowned in the cellar because of the floods and she has so many things to take care of but right now she is fully armored and downstairs there's a war horse waiting and grip galas is also waiting for her this scene i'm not sure if she's already met grip and spoken to him and then they are going to meet anamanda and that's why she is dressed up in armor or this is their first meeting I, it's not very clear but it has to be that they have spoken before right i'm not sure what like in general or just now in this scene in this particular scene it has grip already told them oh. what's going to happen or not sure probably i think so only that would make sense but then that means orphantel has been sleeping throughout and throughout <laughs> till she gets fully dressed up he's been sleeping anyway could possible though poor guy then uh, orphantel has a note for her but grip uh, says that you know by now the ink would have washed away this is so typical right like so typical malazan that you have an important note but we are pretty sure that it's gone beyond repair but it doesn't matter because you can guess the contents because obviously sukul would have sent it which these guys figure out right away so it doesn't really matter right what she's written they go to meet her soon anyway hopefully i'm not sure so grip would have gone straight to his master who is anamanda rake but since this noble one boy wanted to meet her he had to come with him because he is not highborn he can't defy highborn orders so in their here hish and grip have known each other for a quite a long time grip galas has been like you know helping her have to, uh, secret meetings with anamanda because i don't know anamanda supposedly should not know that they were meeting her it's just very typical and then he keeps staring at her in a strange way and finally she asks him like what's up why are you you know is there something else and all he says is it's just good to see you again right and now they have unpleasant news to give to anamanda and so they start writing so that section comes up once they start writing and they start thinking that is coming up but right now we have gone back to the chamber of darkness not the chamber of secrets chamber of darkness so instead we switch to galarbaras's uh, pov he can't see a thing so pov is very generous he can't see he can only feel henerer standing next to him and then mother dark asks why she has to bless this and he says her children have simple needs and being you know so clear about something is a virtue she asks him if this blade will ease all his doubts or will it be her blessing which would ease him and he says like a scabbard and a sword he would have both okay mm. and mother dark then starts talking to henerer and this is some some weird stuff like what is virtue and he says the finest virtues are those which flower unseen in a garden and she says my first son has no time for gardens he's only you know <laughs> deals with hard stone and amander gets frustrated as frustrated as us and then he asks if she has new strengths to tell them to fulfill their fates and she says before his desires she will retreat and refusal is necessary because what is risked is something which should not be chained would be chained really can you really make out anything here at this point you're not supposed to I'm wait, what when what when <laughs> she says something like for? this is in chaining what must not be chained so yes. anyway, we know what that is no do we know this in the summary or do we know this in the discussion we can guess what does mother dark is concerned what is mother dark concerned with well for one we know because the next chapter goes mother into dark. detail about this there is a gate uh, to darkness and that has been yeah. chained and the wandering if wandering ends one Which day wandering does must end in the next chapter yeah and then not yet i mean the the first step is begun in the next chapter yeah i mean yes but yeah. you get the idea so anyway she asks henerald if peace is a virtue i'm just moving on from that because 
I think we can discuss that more when the event actually happens. No? And he says yeah. he doesn't know about peace because he's just an exhausted old man. And Ooh. exhaustion is failure. And such questions are only for young people. Mm. And she tells Rake that there is war in Kural Galen. And so he says, you know, give me permission. I'm going to take up this vote in your name. In my name? In my name? Yeah. No. No. Yeah, because she is the prize. But if she is the prize, she is yielding her border. There's nothing to protect. She has no virtue because that that's a very nice way she puts it. You know, like we say ship has sailed. And she says the horse has bolted and even the dogs have stopped barking or something. It's very, it's very nice, she says. So she has no virtue. She has no holiness because she was immortal for quite a long time. So she herself is a prize and anyone can reach for her. So what is there to take sword in her name, you know? And then he simply asks if she won't bless the sword. She tells him it was already blessed in the making and it just waits like a restless child in Lord Hust's arms. Then Rake, I don't know why, all of a sudden Rake asks, where is Draconis? And she says, he has gone to bring her a gift. And he says, that's all he ever does. This makes her angry and she says, you know, Draconis is entire. I mean, she doesn't get angry over so many things. Is this the one she has to get angry over? She, says, so, Draconis- she has expectations of Anamander and he doesn't meet them over and over again. Mother Dark. And she doesn't meet them. So, but who's in the right? I don't know which side right and which side left is. We're reading in a book. <sighs> Hilarious. Okay, yeah. Please know, carry on. I know. So Mother Duck says that Draconis is entirely mine and Anamanda Lake is also entirely hers. So she would not have such talk. Not, not in my household or something. So then he gets angry. And what does he say? By title, I call you so, as you ask of me. But mother to me, you are not. Oh, that is so good. Mother to me, you are not. So anyway, he says that and she gets angry and she tells him, you know, if you're that, you know, if you don't care. If you're not my son, then walk walk the darkness from your skin. Walk the darkness from your skin. And he says, what kind of a prize are you? No virtue, no holy or nothing. So what kind of a prize are you? And then he goes on a long rant saying, you know, give me something to defend. I'm a warrior. Give me something to fight. Should I fight for justice? Should I fight for protection or whatever? She doesn't bother answering. And then he takes his sword and walks out. With this, Henerel becomes, you know, suddenly a broken old man. He sags. He almost loses consciousness and asks what happened. And Galar Baras tells him it's done. The sword is blessed, which is a total lie. And then they leave. And when they leave, he realizes that, you know, what Anamander meant was right. That his lord has changed. He's no longer the man who entered. <clears throat> Should we go but to he does not time? mean the ebon hue of his, of his skin. Yeah. So... And then it's, uh, you know, it's Rise and Cedarpool and Emerald talking about all sorts of shit. Okay. This scene, if you were only to look at the plot, is Rise Herat on the terrace, looking down and seeing the Sons of Darkness going out to their wedding. That's all. We can move on. We can go to the next scene. But no, okay. because this, we're not summarizing <laughs> plot. <laughs> we get to think about his thoughts. He's a historian who writes nothing down. Why? Because history is not a dead thing. It is a present and every detail in this present reaches back to antiquity. And the best metaphor he can think of is the river, Dorsen Rill, which, you know, as if it were a metaphor for the present. It's crowded. People can barely hold on. They're all swirling on unpredictable currents. And there are bridges to an ideal future where those bridges are so high that they can hardly reach them. Those bridges just cast insubstantial shadows. And mm. you can't walk on shadows. Can you? Can you walk on shadows? I don't th- I think you can, but not on shadows on a river. So he has an instinct to throw himself down, which by now we know that it was because Sedorpul told him to kill himself. Not a good guy. But he knows that if he did that, he would be falling into the river each time. 
you know and perhaps one day he will he will or <laughs> so yeah then flashback to his earlier meeting with emral sedorpul endest and sedorpul says they have lost a third of their priesthood to sintara and her cause is not the same as denier's so he asks like is there a war of three religions now who knew and rice struggles to come to terms with the black skin blessing they've all received now they're all being called the andy and he's asked for his thoughts and he responds that uh, sintara is with urusander now but isn't that confusing their cause how can she take you know be against the denies and be with mother dark and be with urusander it's confusing and sedorpul says the cause is confused enough these guys are beating down the poor to hit back at the high one like i think we can just put a meme for sedorpul saying make it make sense it doesn't it doesn't make sense nothing makes sense here so then sedorpul asks if mother dark is going to disavow the legion because they're striking the denies in her name and all emerald does is winces she has no answer and then she says something like if all their faith is nothing but holding on to faith is is that what faith means rice says they have definitely made this god but they have proof of her power in their skin and you know what emerald says for that from wins for power this is hers yeah. something like this yeah. <laughs> oh you went you, you went to capless speak right so and then oh, i did yeah <laughs> i was honest i was subconscious completely okay god <laughs> This is the shit that comes out of a man. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we we are nearing the end. Fall of Light is going to be a breeze, no? So Sedorpul says they must find the goal. They can't be doubting anything now. And, you know, they have been split into two. And they must make make meaning out of this. What does that mean? I understood it as because they are split into two, they have to, like, stand opposing each other. They can't mm-hmm. say we are two parts of the same or something like that. Then Emerald says there is no more meaning beyond the division itself. that's all the meaning there is and right now the river god has yielded his place sintara has fled and all mother dark wants is peace and with this sedorpul thinks that you know being silent means you've surrendered he doesn't like it rise quotes galan i think there are two galan quotes in this chapter something like be very yep. easy victories yeah be very easy victories mm-hmm. and sedorpul says words are not going to win them anything nobody is doing anything we need to bring this up yeah please what So um he calls Kalan and then Emerald's like yeah but where is he and the uh, rice says oh yeah I, he I has made himself it. a ghost and walks on sheen in times such as these no poet is heeded and indeed is likely to be among the first to hang from a spike in clanking concert with crows and if that isn't Kalan bitching i don't know what is this also is the same thing we see in midnight tides because we have been calling back to midnight tides in this chapter where all the not midnight tides sleepers gill okay anyway letter we are we're calling back to letter as here Don't they just uh, start hanging the academicians and oh yeah yeah scholars and you know those people the people who rejected the who's that guy the invigilator guy Carus Carus Nuketadia yeah it's nice it's, it's so nice when we you know these books like directly remind us of Book of the Fallen so Sirupul says all this and then he decides that when is anybody going to take a step only when the enemy goes too far is that when we are going to act. and he keeps ranting mm-hmm. that this is a time of indifference we live in a time of indifference and wolves will attack them if they see weakness and rice says that wolves will be just true to their self and if they act too late <laughs> you can mute yourself and do that no no did i just make noise <laughs> oh, i'm sorry oh it'll get recorded anyway that's okay so anyway and if they act too late now they will overcompensate with zeal and you know everybody becomes a loser with that sedorpul says that as a historian he is mocking his past lessons like his course rise 
and rai says that of course he is he has those past lessons deserve to be mocked because nobody learned from that and as said or continues to you know continues to rant and say that we are the useless ones and all rai finds it even more ironic that he still doesn't understand that we are making a mockery of past lessons and nobody is hearing them even now it's good fun rai is fun and then finally he says go throw yourself i would yourself. not say rai is fun i think rai is like the opposite of fun he is dour as fuck i mean we after seeing doiker rise is like a ray of sunshine seriously oh, i guess he is yeah i guess in that yeah. case yeah doiker's actual inner monologue is skillara is too bright and too nobody can be you know sad around this woman i'm going to avoid start avoiding her <laughs> he's at that level so then he says throw yourself off the tower and walks out and rise says that you know the more oh he doesn't get walk out sorry the scene still continues and rise says that it's more braver to live through history that's the bravest thing a historian can do which dilker has already done now we get one more galan quote because you know why not just mm. <laughs> you want to tell me mm. before quote? that before that before that, that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. i might slightly move the uh, scene but yeah go on tell me what did i what is so, it um so rise basically says after the history raid against the rebel like we all swim in the same river and that emerald says in which even the wolves will drown yeah and then rise goes go on destruction spares no crown and i say this unto every uh, uh, <clears throat> unto the lords i say this unto the lords behind every door from hovel to palace which is um yeah. fairly succinct it's uh, it's nice to... okay i thought you were going to simplify it further everybody's going I mean, to die yeah we're going to get we're, yeah we're all going to we're the realm market <laughs> self destruction Yeah. and dissolution but no we're going to say this in like three different ways increasingly <laughs> verbose yeah <laughs> there is a subreddit called increasingly verbose i don't know if you see i know it. like this so is kind of a little with that <laughs> like fall of light is even more increasingly <laughs> verbose like in fall of light you'd have like three pages worth of just this <laughs> can't wait yeah just to get to the point of uh, oh we're all going to die <laughs> And then Walk in Shadow I don't know if you read like the prologue which Steve sampled for Walk in Shadow which is literally this I didn't I didn't read this okay. no it's uh I'll, we'll get to it later but yeah sure. it's it's great yeah. okay okay so anyway Cedarpool has had enough would you know what insult he throws at them as he's going out he call he calls them I can't think of a more childish insult he calls them keepsakes you guys are all keepsakes and you're just going to sit on the shelf or something and then walks out and just you know he's hesitant he says that we came here to talk about recorders and he says he is another keepsake his mother does own keepsake and walks out <laughs> then emerald say ask you know is he going to go and join sintara now he says mm-hmm. he just wants peace standing still is tragedy he doesn't want that don't bring that up now keep it for the discussion Sorry. yeah yeah emerald and rice they are now looking at a tapestry after this guy walks out and this tapestry shows a creation myth which we better pay some attention to because it shows uh, it shows that uh, the first heroes have killed a dragon goddess who has many heads and they have drank her blood which makes them so powerful that the azathana had to get involved and it is no, this loss way, of it, yeah it bears noting that this is like the creation myth of the dice this is even before like this is ancient history for the dice yeah yeah they don't know and rice says that among a, a dozen ago. among a dozen creation myths this is one of the ones which did not make it it's like a discarded creation with among them so but we already know that sagandar has taught him taught tarathan something about uh, you know the first heroes and the age of gifts and that's when the discord started and all that so we sort of knew that this is a event they're talking about so it is this loss of purity because of the draconian blood 
that is cause for the discord among taist then he is cynical enough to say that these creation myths are just justifications for a people and we are all probably meaningless and then he makes it takes it one step further and says that he thinks he likes to think of people in terms of helplessness and this makes emerald cry and then he walks back to the tower just one dour motherfucker holy christ <laughs> and back to the tower top and from there he sees the sons of darkness going out right so now we come to scene 6 and that six. concludes the summary you know he's on the terrace <laughs> and he watches these guys has a flashback and then watches these guys run away yeah it's like nothing really six... happened in the flashback sedorful got angry that's all that happened <laughs> Not even simple. It's like a five-word summary. So, uh, Arise, Harat, flashback, Skeeter before angry. <laughs> Boom. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah. Decreasingly verbose. That's the podcast. So, uh, scene six is this dog, Ribs, is almost being washed away in a river and Grisenfall mm-hmm. rescues him. He calls it Providence and they start walking together. This, I've actually brought, boiled it down to just the plot because it's, you know, my doubt is that this is just a light-hearted break because soon we're just going to start losing it all the rough stuff is going to happen so we're just getting yeah. a break with prison because there is not much substance more than you know more than being funny so it's it's good to take your time there uh, one of his best jokes is here or is it in the next section where he asks do you have any dog <laughs> wine yeah yeah dog. Uh, dog tell me dog do you have any wine yeah <laughs> so yeah this is fun and then, and then he goes start. on like um yeah, yeah hang on he goes on about yeah. uh how hang on let me find this so, go on, go on. um grizzin disliked the meaning of such details of like smoke and stuff like that uh since they reminded him of all the places he had protected in the past strangers mm. stepped carelessly in every garden he had ever tended that was a sad admission on all sides and they start speaking for they value only what is theirs and covet all that is mine but should should we meet we might invent economy or theft or both <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah this is just just fun stuff before we you know do the rest of the stuff so scene 7 i think one of my favorite is hish and grip are riding to meet the sons of darkness and her inner monologue is three pages four pages of a oh, complete yeah. circle yeah it's 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 a great it's a great arc so first we start with her being irritated that the soldiers grievances are so ephemeral she doesn't like it they seem to want if they want coin they'll be given coin if they want land they'll be given land but they seem to want something more than coin and land they seem to want like equality bad name bad word equality so but if that happens then if every station is equal then that means birthright means nothing how can that happen yeah sure okay <coughs> quick intermission over and we're back yeah so if everyone becomes the same standing then birthright will mean nothing and that's when civilization will collapse we can't have a society of high born only high born because we need servants we need potters we need weavers etc but these soldiers they don't seem to care about all those things whatever they want it's for themselves alone and since they've become a standing army in kural galen they are built to strike and so strike it must strike it must that sentence makes no sense if i put it out of context but there when you're reading it because when, as i was typing i knew that this wouldn't make sense here so anyway then she wonders what in what way are these high born acting like a balance against the legion because they're also squabblers and they're opposed to someone who is actually standing at mother dark side for no reason she thinks all this is a mess she doesn't like it and that if a soldier is asked to risk his life it should be for the sake of worthy things you know for a better life but they have this everything and whatever rewards they've got have been cut off from them I'm paraphrasing a lot here so if you want to put them in prettier words please go on. 
and so they are lashing out now and then they ride through the posh areas of town and she remembers you know their usual way of thinking that if people live in filth it's their own fault because like horses breeding would tell i do you know how much i hate that sentence this how much it is used like breeding will tell anyway uh, lately she has begun to have doubts about this because it seems a little bit too self-serving and i think you mentioned someone else had the same thought that it's a bit too taste centric ibis was yeah yeah ibis must have yeah <clears throat> yeah so anyway the highborn have a right to fear and the dispossessed have a right to be resentful of all this and in between is a legion who is trying to take from the poor and trying to take from the rich both <laughs> so she knows all this and she's aware of her privilege they st- think- yeah um so since you mentioned yeah, i can yeah, bring yeah. in the prettier words so uh the legion stood apart wanting only for themselves and they now gathered into ranks with weapons on hand to take what the poor did not have and the rich had not earned and that is just yeah yeah <laughs> so right uh, <clears throat> she knows her privilege but she feels helpless about it which yeah understandable and finally across a bridge they see the wedding procession and they stop gripgalas doesn't want to break the bad news to his master because it's a happy occasion and he says there is paucity of joyous memories and he doesn't want to assail this one and she asks him must there be paucity this i don't know it just even my first read and even now this whole scene you know it just stays with me and then she can feel the gulf between these two he is just a common foot soldier and she is a highborn lady and his life is at the pleasure of the one he serves and it's an extremely unfair bargain but that is a bargain that sustains civilization but the thought you know sickens her <coughs> This is why Hish is our number one now. And then Grip says that he is a wise man who doesn't think too much. He is wise because he doesn't think too much. So he says something like, we should be like a bird which just builds its nest, lays eggs, finds food and so on. And Hish asks if we are birds. <laughs> are we birds or something? And then he says, no, but because unlike birds, we think our nests are too small <laughs> and our chicks are too disappointing. <clears throat> and our mates look uglier every day and all that. she laughs at this and then he says that whatever bargain he has with his master it was knowingly done i don't know how there was this jump between her inner thoughts and his words about bargaining with your master and all that but anyway this is what happens he says that it was all entered knowingly and he's content with his life then hish says that he reminds her of her castle and ransom and <laughs> she misses simpler days when all she had to worry about was a dog's taper <coughs> grip says something you know extremely mildly flirty like we will miss you if you're back in your castle or something and hish is you know she's sort of used to these things she throws it back at him and says are you going to seduce me now he claims that he is honorable and you know what she says she says that she distrusts men who say they are honorable and grip says that this is how she keeps wounding herself which ouch yeah a man who must say i am king is no true king So anyway, and he says something like, "I'll pay back for the clothes that you provided." And she says, "I did not sell them to you. I did not loan them to you." What? You? No, no. Just, yeah. <laughs> I like to win. What did I say? I like. I really like the quote. That's all. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, Rick, uh, Rick has seen them. He stops the procession and rides first. He dismounts and he compliments his new skin, saying, "I don't know. You, you've been blessed. I don't know something." He says something nice to her, and she has something snarky in response, like. it hides my age is that what you're saying or something and he feels sort of hurt and she remembers that you know this is what grip meant that she wounds herself by these things yeah <laughs> and then rek uh, knows that grip has some unpleasant news for him but you know because he is a massive flirt here he says give me one more moment and continues to flirt with her he he asks her to get down 
and then says that he's embarrassed that he sent an invite at all. But then she is embarrassed because, you know, she thought it was sent out of pity and all that. Then he wonders why Grip has met her first and not him. Uh, but she, you know, she sort of gets annoyed and says, it's his tale, he's going to tell you. Then Rake says that he doesn't, he sort of, you know, be, does a good wingman thing for uh, Grip and says that he doesn't view you like a father. And then she says that, yeah, I'm beginning to comp- comprehend that. And she feels very unsure about all this. But he still continues to ask her to be his date and says that Grip is not a jealous type. So will you be my date or something? And this is, you know, max flirt level animander rape this is. So <laughs> then he says... This is the he, same guy that would slut shame Santara, by the way. Everyone. He, he doesn't spare anyone. Anyone who is having sex is, is fair game for rape to, to make fun of them. So he says, pity... Lady Hishtula, I only pity those who know you not, right? And with this, she takes his arm and his wrist is solid as iron. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this on video. As if it could bear the weight of a realm and every one of her regrets. I've probably read this section like once, maybe twice. That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> Shall we move on? Do you have anything to add to this thing? There is a joke here to be made about iron bars, but I'm not going to be the one to make it. I'm not going to go there. This is a sweet, flirty scene. I'm not going to talk about iron bars here. Right. No, please, let's continue. Yeah, sure. No, but it's that bearing the weight of a realm is something that, you know, you told the a stone starts sweating when he puts down Dragnikov. Yeah. Imagine imagine her choosing Grip Galas over this guy. That makes her even more of a number one for us. No? So, scene I eight. mean, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I'm kind of unimpressed by Mandy's uh, flirting, you know. Because you're not the target here, right? Could be, yeah. Could be that. Yeah. But also, his brother is getting wedded and he's just like acting inappropriately with one of his exes. Like, oh yeah, by so, the way. Yeah, I got a big fuck off sword. You want to see? Look, look. That's the whole point. That's what makes him a big flirt. If you would just, you know, say hi to Hish and keep going because it's my brother's wedding, that would be such a, you know, loser thing to do. I don't know. This is what makes him... A loser thing to do. The, I mean, flirting-wise, yeah. He stops the procession. He even tells Grip, he knows that he is getting some bad news. And he says, you know, give me some time. <laughs> Let me flirting initiate it. So he makes him stop. His, his bro is getting married. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way. Here, let me call block both you and my brother. Just because I want to fuck my ex a bit. He has, I mean, he's the first son. He doesn't have time. He has to oh. make time for these things. Right. <laughs> and Mother Dark is not getting him an arranged marriage or anything. So. He has to get his Thank chances God. where he can. <laughs> and she is also anyway interested in grip. So all he gets is a date, poor fellow. So anyway, this is exactly what Silkas is telling us in the next scene. He tells Kalaras that for <laughs> for the sake of a beautiful woman, my brother would even make a broom wait. <laughs> Silkas ruined. <laughs> Not your winged grief. Is that what you want to say? Yeah, no, no, he definitely is my wing grief. That's definitely something Selkast would say in, you know. Yeah. Have you read The Crippled God with Selkast and Dulas? Not not much. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, yes, yes, okay. Yeah, the Prince so of the he, Laughing Cock. Yes. That's that's the guy. That's him. <laughs> so anyway, he says that, uh, Rake, uh, sorry, Ruin, Silkas Ruin says, is he called Ruin in Karkanas, by the way, so far? Yes. Or we just yeah. keep hearing Silkas or Silkas Ruin? It's Silkas Ruin. Right. That's the name. Don't ask me why. Because it's cool. It sounds so nice. Silkas I mean, yeah, but like, if he's like, is he Silkas Ruin of House Purik? Why? What? Okay, I mean. That's his middle name. Why is he 
Why would he? His middle me? name should be Nemander, no? Is that his father? Okay, fine. Listen, how's Ines? Why is she called Ines Via? Is she the only woman in the whole family? Names don't make sense here. Sorry. There's a pun with Silcus Ruin, which we're not going to do. Uh, so yeah, he says something like, "If uh, he they, he was expecting his to refuse." You're just laughing and not trying really, so hard not to. If you're not on video right now, I have like the shittiest eating grin right now. Like, <laughs> I've devoured a whole bucket of like crap worth, and like I'm just like, smirking. So okay. yeah, please continue. Yeah, yeah, you're the one interrupting me. Sorry. So, <laughs> oh god. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> as Silke says that he was sure that uh, you know. If he knew that he should accept his brother's invitation, he would have sent an invitation too, so that these two brothers could fight, they could cross swords, and the sky itself would darken with a storm of lightning and fire and all that. I really yeah. should stop. What are you... Please, if you have to get it out of your system, <laughs> just, just say it out. He would cross swords and just like, it's over a woman, and I'm just like... God. What? <laughs> they would cross swords over a woman. Those I'm sorry. Blades. There isn't... <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you bring juveniles into a podcast? So <laughs> I'm gonna don't I promise. Oh God! Okay, please carry on. Yeah, <laughs> you know if I were on the other side, if I didn't have like the rest of this chapter to go through. <laughs> yeah, we promise this is a serious like this is a serious podcast and a serious chapter. Like bad things happen at the end, but I can't help myself. I'm sorry. They were bantering about two of us sexual prowess earlier. It's not my fault. Oh, I skipped over that entirely, but that is so much fun. Oh, the whole... <laughs> it's not my fault. They're the ones talking about dicks and, like, how long people last in bed and making wagers about it. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you would ask for... You dissemble, sir, and you saw you risk our friendship by asking a wager on how long two of us will last in bed. And I'm the one that's being a juvenile, immature. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, like, we're never going to finish this trade. Please continue. I know, I know. I... So Kellerus says, "Okay, uh, fine, sorry." Silka says, "If that would ha- that would have happened, brother on brother would have fought." But this is an old story, and many poets have written about it already. And so that's why they didn't do it here, right? This is like discarded storylines from Erickson, which is just showing us, yeah, I could have gone this route, but I didn't like that. So anyway, they notice that Grip Galas is standing nearby, and uh, they they also feel slightly uneasy that something is going to go down. Even these guys feel uneasy, but. Rake doesn't care. He needs to. He needs the date, right? He can't walk in single. It's got a hot day, so yeah. Yeah, and then Kellara says that there are too many forest fires all around, and they hope that the estates at the edge of the forest. I hope they don't catch fire. And Silka says that it's the river god who is still battling these flames, and it will. F- <clears throat> the flames will rise only when the last denier dies, right? Because the river god will also die. And Kellara says that all the house blades are waiting. For just one command to rise up, Silka says that what would he do if Mother Dark declares that the deniers are, you know, their enemy? And he says that he would never fight for a di- deity that asks for murder. <laughs> I love Kilaris. I'm so that, like that. That's the one like quote. Yeah, which is like yeah. yes, thank you. Finally, he's, he's the prototype Malazan soldier because he thinks he doesn't do things blindly. Right? This is what you want. So he he knows that murder what is I wrong. Want is someone that like yeah, that that that's all I need to know. Murder is wrong. Yeah, he says something like and murder when, is wrong. Yeah. So if this god is asking for that, then he's not going to follow that. And but uh, Silkas reminds him that you have killed before, you have murdered before, 
and he says yeah but that was my own crime i did not place it on any god because no god can bear such a burden and silka says that the legion disagrees with him and he says he is ready to argue with them with the sword <laughs> arguments in iron one jagged might call them oh yeah yeah true so anyway they start riding and like silka says <laughs> sorry sorry this is going to be like 2 hours long we're so sorry yeah uh, they know this you know this is going to happen we are getting worse i believe as the podcast is going we are getting worse at summarizing i thought we would be getting better and more efficient so fine efficient <laughs> like a 5k word summary later <laughs> so, you know, efficiency is a matter of perspective listen listen so silka says that anderest is the best among them and for his sake they will bring peace to the realm and he tells him tells kalaras that like you anamander will also not murder in her name so scene 9 scene 9 yeah you can Sorry. keep your reactions i am going to respond scene 9 grison comes across the estate do you remember this estate the great house of anderest yeah. of laughing yeah. yeah so the bodies have been rotting and providence the dog is so scared it doesn't even want to go near but he says i'm sorry dog this is the path and he he goes in he finds all the bodies including the one wearing the traditional dress of a bride in waiting and he meets kadaspala who is crying in a corner and seeing his torn out eyes i think grison has the best line in this whole chapter and he says oh that was no answer and he embraces the man who initially resists and cries and weeps and then finally he gives up and starts you know sacks almost i don't know falls asleep or loses consciousness or something <laughs> and then the dog comes and lies down next to them <clears throat> now And so Grison gets um Grison gets uh, indicted into the summarizing the entire theme of the book in one sentence club which is fairly exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm in the scene You're going to ignore scene. me and continue. Yeah, please go on. Yeah. So they have traveled through the night and Grip Galas is sad that Orfantel is not with them because you know he is supposed to have ridden that old horse with this wedding procession and he should have taken part in this happy event but he didn't deserve all the hardships that he has faced at this young age and he thinks of life as being some fates are within reach and some fates are out of reach and then as in here grip sees the carrion birds first and he rides ahead instantly he passes jane's body he almost mistakes that there is a last fallen house blade and then recognizes no no that is krill krill has died with a mangled hand which you know remember the the sense of wrongness the sense of wrongness yeah yeah <laughs> oh god I think um yeah then he stopped with Grison's voice oh god i need a minute can you pause so um someone yeah. got fairly emotional because it's <laughs> fairly dark we did say it's dark no, we may no, be crying wise but it's dark so yeah we had to take a minute but, we're back right right we're back so uh grip is stopped by grison's voice and as they're catching up we hear kadaspala shrieking who comes and i think rake just says kadaspala or something and he starts approaching him like where were you we were all here and you know sort of blaming him and that's when you see that quote is just amazing like i have this <laughs> i tweeted it out if you didn't say but yeah oh i i um, didn't see yeah and amanda so, i have been yeah. expecting you we all have we have a question you say just one and we all ask it all of us here and amanda where were you where were you <laughs> that's such an accusatory question isn't it <laughs> so but then we see that he already he was actually holding a dagger in his hand he was about to stab bait and grip stops him by this time someone has started howling at the hearthstone we were just told that that's all we are told we're not told more than it's a sword yeah it's a sword it's a sword 
It's a password, right? It's really short. It's, it's faulty. It's, it's a scream. Who threw a sword at the hearthstone and made it, made it cry? Yeah, right? It's like it's, it's, a, it's written on frequency. It just like banged it against the hearthstone and started shrieking. <laughs> That's what it is. So, right. And now Anamadar has no eyes for anyone, but he's only staring at his brother. And Kalaspala is crying where Grip has, uh, you know, has him in a headlock or something. He subdued him. Then Rake draws his sword. At that instant, Darius stops crying abruptly. And his last howl echoes for an impossibly long time. And we both decided that it has to be the husk sword which has <coughs> responded or echoed or something. And before Rake can say anything, Andaris says that he's going to name this sword. Rake says, no, it's not your weapon. But Darius says that it is his wound and that's why he wants to name it. But Rake says, no, I'm going to call this vengeance. And Andaris has a nice long uh, speech on vengeance is not a pure path. It is deceptive. And he says, who is to blame for what has happened here? Is it the commander who gave the orders? Is it an unhappy childhood? Is it battle-lust? Or like wounds, imagined or real wounds and all that. And vengeance is the slayer of righteousness. So he god. asks again. <laughs> and their fucking quote is just like, oh my god, dude. Like, anniversary <laughs> to the guy who just like, you know, the club of uh, summarizing the entire book's meaning in one word, in one this sentence. This whole chapter has been like that. Like, god. the entire thing so has good. been like, we can just stop at this chapter and like call it a day. Anyway, yeah, he, no, I didn't say asked, we could. I did say that. <laughs> Last chapter we did, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so he asked that, you know, allow me to name it. And then he suggests the name Grief. And Rake doesn't like it. He says, Grief is weak. It has no strength. It has no will. I will take nothing from that name. And then Andrew says that if you take, either take the word Grief or you're no longer my brother. Rake says, cool, and walks out. And then Silkas also tries to stop him. He says, take his Grief. And Rake says that anyway, he's in mourning, so let him mourn for two people now. And by that time, Karaspala that says... such a dick thing to say, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't be and like that. Karaspala says something like, he's got Rake's portrait now, finally, after losing his eyes. And then Anderist is crying. He asks, will no one share my grief? Silka says, I'll go, bring, <laughs> I'll go bring him back and walks out. And then he asks Karaspala that, I have your sister in my arms. Won't you join me? And he says, you know, you're... You're the reason for all this to happen. You seduced her to marriage and she was never for you and all that. So Look on me, O oh, forgotten son yeah. of darkness, for I am your child, your malformed, twisted spawn. In these holes, see your future if you dare. Yeah, he says Even that, when he's blind and crazy, this motherfucker <laughs> just like spits quotes like, ugh. Oh, so he says that God. and Grip Galas gets really angry with him and starts hitting him. And that's when Hish walks in. Till now she was missing from the scene, she walks in. And she tells him to stop. And then Grip says that, I'm sorry, my lady, or something. And then she walks up to Anderist and asks, do you want to tell me that? Uh, do you see my tears? Do not mourn alone, Anderist. Yeah. And, and she took the last brother into her arms. Yeah. And then the chapter ends it's because Steve hates you. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Do we want to go to <laughs> your chapter right away? No, I think I uh, don't think by I can add anymore. Yeah. <laughs> By the magic of editing, we're going to snap back to the uh, next chapter. So, <laughs> yeah. For the time being, uh, we shall see you later. And uh, see you in part two in about uh, five seconds. Five seconds. See you. Hello. Welcome back. Um, this is like, I guess, part two, but not quite. It's the same video. I'm worried much about it. So, yeah, this is chapter 16. Uh, we discussed chapter 15 just before. It took us about an hour. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, with less tech jokes. So, off we go. So, scene one. Uh, Dracons and Arathon are riding. And as such, a singing. Classic. Uh, they talk of belief as an anchor of convictions, and Arathon assuages his father that he has no beliefs. Draconis disagrees and assuages him in turn 
that he will search for his mother with a conviction that frightens. And thus, for Drac, he learns nothing. Arthur knows Draconus sent his mother away, out of love, presumably, and bites into Draconus with sharp words. His father replies about him baiting Sagander and how he dissembles while feigning ignorance of the harm that his words cause. After this quick digression of Arthur and that, dad, uh, Draconus continues about belief. It guides everyone through life, though the light at the end of the tunnel is often an illusion. In short, Draconus tries to warn Arthur of the dangers of living through life with strict and harsh convictions. Convictions. Uh, strife is coming to the world, and Draconus is a lodestone for it. He gave him a dark gift, which Arthur interprets as his love. It does raise some pretty interesting points about how Draconus views love, but his father corrects him. He does not mean love, he means power. And Arthur contends by saying that power should never be a gift, which interests his father. Arthur then goes on about the tirade, about gifts and hunger and expectation, all the while he's thinking of Ferrin, which seems to be, word for word, not quite, but you get the idea, uh, <laughs> the warning Grisenfarl gave to Draconis a few chapters ago. Arthur, if you remember, was passed out drunk during that time, so Draconis hearing this warning twice by a different individual sends him the spiral of thoughts. Every gift he gives seems to cost something of himself. He rarely sleeps nowadays. He but weathers the night. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, Arathon would seek to avoid this fate, and uh, he but thanks you know, for his... Uh, yeah? Any no? normal person, if he gets the same warning from two different people on two different days, would, would hear it, right? He wouldn't mm-hmm. say, how do you know this, and then continue doing whatever he wants to do. Yeah, please go on. So, yeah. Um, Arathon then would seek to avoid this fate, of, uh, you know, giving something of himself. And thanks, Draconus, for his unintended wisdom. Draconus merely makes a comment about Sagander, and Arathan responds that Sagander is so self-assured of his own beliefs that he refuses to entertain others before they enter a house of sorts. Rather, the yard of said house. Yeah. Uh, a house that is created by their own presence, a house created by their belief. So belief does indeed harbor power, but it is also often deceptive. Father and son continue discussing belief for a moment, because of course they do, <laughs> Before a figure, whom we later identify as Rastas, steps forth from the house dressed in bloodstained silks and wearing a shit-eating grin that Arathan would gladly <laughs> punch from his face. But Arathas, Arathas. Er, Arathas then says, that, yeah, wouldn't you rather kiss it from me? Okay, you get the idea. He's like snarky. It's Arastas. Um, I mean, Ar- I mean, yeah, yeah, murder is fun. How much fun must he be to say to look at his He murders two dragons in like five chapters. That's he murdered two people. Is that sorry? Yeah, I shouldn't be saying this. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, Erastus then walks poetic, um, somewhat to Draconis. They are bound together by his artistry, and though Draconis would seek to sunder that binding, the journey that the suzerain set upon him was most enlightening. Yeah. You know, you know what then we hands, should do yeah? if if you yeah. don't mind, because you're going in depth in detail. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a bigger picture of what is going on here? Because sometimes we can forget the forest for the trees. Um, so right. basically, the rest comes before him and gives him a big gift thing of like, you know, called folded darkness, a folding of night, yeah. which he created with Garrus's uh, blood to bind night into something. Anyway, so yeah, he then hands her to Darren, a folding of night, a small angle of this made of blackwood leaves. This sets a dangerous precedent, which by Arathus's words would see the death of the old ways. Huh? 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 No, yeah. To make a long story short, then, Draconis forced order upon chaos by binding night into an object, and Erastas would follow suit. The binding was done by blood, and now only uh, only now does it dawn on Draconis that he actually killed Karish. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And, and uh, as Rasta disappears, a swarm of bats descends upon the two of them. Now, the bats are presumably some assassini searching for... Um, I was thinking it's like the Loki rival or something. No? Maybe. I mean, it's some sort of... Um, they identify as, as like hunter, as a hunter of Rastas, right? They're hunting him. Yeah, yeah. And by his power, he keeps them away. And when he leaves, they descend no, down. because it's consecrated ground, so... Yeah, not through his power. Oh, he consecrated because he killed a yeah, dragon. Yeah. He can do uh, a lot uh, that and a lot more with uh, his newfound power. But yeah, so um, it's like vampires who suddenly discover that they can drink blood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Arthur then proceeds to think of this. Dragon's gift is soaked in blood, and Arastas is now made aware of how blood pretends. He craves more. His hunger for blood will inevitably become expectation, which circles back to what Arthur was talking about gifts earlier, because yeah. Steve is good at writing. So yeah, uh, Draconis adamant then that Maldurk's power will scour the chaos from the Terran. When night unfolds once more, it will purge this poison. Arathon surmises then that he's not going to planning to uh, to plan. He's not planning to tell Mother Dark of the gift's origin. Draconis encounters that nothing stays broken forever. Arathon thinks that Cold Galen is not for him, and so Draconis secretly safe. Draconis asserts that Arathon Ar- does not know that fear is a virtue. Hi, Arathander, uh, and so hunting him is unworthy. <laughs> Uh, he evades Arthur's question, <laughs> who lived here in the house that they just left? Who hunts Rastas? Are you going to lie to the Lord of Hate? Who, who lived in that house? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so we don't know. Fine. I thought, I thought he knew something. Some of that one, I presumably, but we don't know who. Yeah. And he right away, leaving Arthur trailing behind to think, because he's writing. Yeah. So, he once thought of hurting his father. For that matter, he once thought his father was a much greater man than he is now. Uh, but he understands now that Draconis knows nothing but hurts. Which is just raw. <laughs> he speaks a private language that only he understands, and he is hurt when others misconstrue him. Arathon would have none of this. He would seek out Farron when their child would be born, weather the storm and venom of the border swords, and take her away. Away to a world that did not feed on blood. So, that happened. <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts before we move on? Yeah, sir. No, this is fine. The, I wanted that bigger picture because sometimes it's easy to just keep listening to the dialogue. And mm-hmm. I not know what exactly has happened. So he's used blood, right. he's folded knight, he's gifted to Draconis. So Draconis is culpable, but he's going to keep it a secret. And Draconis knows that, oh, I fucked up, but I can fix this. Because of course he can. <laughs> yeah. no, I can fix him. Whatever. So Sinto. Hands, hands. Right. Yeah. Coria and Hout are walking. Uh, they're walking and through the ruins of Jacket civilization. They're and they're thinking. And Coria is not particularly happy with the whole thing. She's menstruating, she's in pain, she's been walking for too long, and how it's just being awfully stoic about the whole thing. It's just talk to me so I can snap at you and feel better. It's so fun, I know. She wants him to open his mouth and say something so that she can snap at him. And how is so aware of that, that he's not giving her any chance. He's just keeping quiet. (laughs) They're like made for each other, aren't these two? Okay, at last they come upon um, what Coria calls another monument to failure, but how instructed to make camp. They find a dead-looking plant, and the dragon tells Coria to pick the driest-looking leaves to remedy her foul mood, which is just... Okay, I know <laughs> dragon humor is very difficult to summarize, but, like, bear with me. Yeah. So, not to belabor the point over much, but uh, Coria is not happy with the whole arrangement. Uh, mm-hmm. along, a comment from Hout about the dragon ruins that being of the wilds elicits a long conversation about civilization. Coria deems this to be a civilization on it, this being the jagged, uh, to be a civilization on its knees, um, redolent with civil failure, and I'm starting to sound like Apollo again. Um, <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. This then asks it. how one measures civilization as a form of progress. 
Corey is in the mood for more lessons about how to humor diffuses her, so she humors him in turn. So, the progress of civilization, Corey says, is measured in its gifts to labor and service. I'm going to basically quote in their thing because it's like really interesting that's and there's no good way to summarize it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, how then asks the logical question, how does one measure the decline of civilization? Corey earlier supported the notion that the coalescing of intent, willingness, and capability are what ease people within a civilization, and so she expands. When civilization declines, though intent remains, willingness fades and capacity is called into question. Yeah, rather not capacity, capability. Capability is called into question. Yeah. Yeah. Civilization, then, declines and dies when justice cannot be meted out to those at fault because blame cannot be accorded to them. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, see? See where they're going with this? Yeah. See? See? Steve's, Steve's good. This, uh, uh, yeah. So, okay. So, there's a bunch of symbolism here about Corey's role as a Maibi. Why bother filling her with such mundane tasks? Um, and Corey thereby concludes that Hout is intent without capability and entirely devoid of will. One could then say that Hout is a microcosm of Tiger Civilization. There's like a couple of quotes here which are basically just um, Hout tells Corey that she talks too much, like increasingly verbosely. And then Coria calls her in return, like, um, that he is a failure of civilization, he and the Jagat. And then, like, how it's like, yeah, indeed I am, but I would also be a shit teacher if I didn't teach you the mundane things. So keep quiet and let me talk. And, like, <laughs> they talk about it in, like, the most verbose way, which just, it's both hilarious and exhausting to summarize, but it's so fun. I think you so. have to say that I have been too long in civilization to understand the mundane cogitations of its basic requirements. <laughs> The mundane cogitations. It's just the most <laughs> verbose way to say... And you know what she calls You talk back. too much. Instead of saying you should tell, she just says you are intent without capability and yeah. entirely lacking in wit. Just imagine debate shows like this. Yeah, yeah, so, sorry. in the okay. meantime, they arrive at the back of the tower where there's a big, <laughs> it's a big hole instead of a garden. I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but... Is there yeah. a reason for this hole? Do we find out later? Yeah. Um, later, Erastus and Setchel in like, the very next scene have just dropped oh, a whole bunch of... Oh, is it the same? Yeah. yeah. Because oh, like, Setch asks right. him, like, do you know where this came from? No. <laughs> just okay, dropped okay, it yeah. on him. But yeah. And um, so we'll, we'll get to that. So, yeah. um, so Coria contemplates murder for a quick second as she makes preparations for the fire. Uh, before <laughs> half nude, and I'm saying half very generously... Jagged comes no, in with no. a loincloth. Are you that, questioning, um, questioning his no? prowess? I am not questioning his prowess. Yeah. Um, so his loincloth, yeah, uh, his loincloth failed to hide the lower half of his manhood. So that would be Varandas, which, yeah. by the way, um, Varandas in the Book of the Fallen is unequivocally female. Yeah, and here, because it says lower half of manhood and such thing, she <laughs> had no choice. <laughs> he dug himself into a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. <clears throat> anyway, so this so, is the second um, gender swap we're seeing between Bukhari Fallen and here. Or yeah. Panther Land Verandas. Yeah. Okay. And there's more to come. Is there? Yeah, Dathanar no, is, is a female in the Google God. That's the plot thing. No, no, no. That was intentional. This was like, like a mistake, right? I think it's the other way around. We'll get to that eventually. It's later. But yeah, whatever. So, uh, Verandas is a renowned, I say renowned, very, you know, generously again, scholar <laughs> among the jacket. Um, he is, is renowned scholar? for. Is he a scholar? He is renowned for many treatises, conjectured but never penned, because he considers writing to be a mundane task, best saved for uh, idiots. The actual scholar among the dragons was Carrie, who is now dead. But um, we do have one treatise of Ferrandas's on the Jellex Civil War, supposedly. I don't know if he actually penned it ever. Oh 
yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like how the talks with it when on his first scene, basically, and, like Viridas had no right. Well, Something, yeah, he did uh, it. So, yeah. you know. So, so um, I'm gonna just summarize the rest of this fairly quickly. More symbolism and more witty banter ensues as the three of them sit down to drink from uh, overfilled goblets, speaking to Viridas's prowess in exquisitely pouring wine. And um, to solve Coria's foul mood, how has a solution? Smoking the leaves that Coria had just picked up earlier. Uh, turns out those leaves had been left on the vine for a few decades, nay, centuries, uh, and thus are incredibly potent. Coria uh, takes one whiff and gets knocked out for a full day. <laughs> so they do drag it after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go on, go on. I think you're, you're There's like a few yeah, quotes, yeah. like, you know, this would challenge. Um, no, more than that, that. She's passed Thelica. out, but you can still <laughs> see the smoke coming yeah. from her. This would uh, challenge Thelakai constitution, and it was a lungful to melt iron ore. Yeah. Yeah. So the two jackets then rise to discuss matters. Case in point, the hole at the back of Paradise's Tower. Gazing into the dark abyss, they wonder about the precedent set by Rastas and Hood's response. Hood has apparently been chained by the Lord of Hate in his tower, what they call an act of compassion and mercy. But all the dragon now await his word. Hood would wage war upon something, which we know to be death. Uh, But Hout's solution to this is Coria, as it might be. He is otherwise helpless. What that means, we don't know. Oh, and they also talk about the hole, because of course they do. And they say, they don't know where the hole came from. What do you know about this? This is no idea. And they keep looking looking at it. Uh, If there's symbolism there, I have no idea. I mean, we we are invited to look at this some more. (laughs) They just look at the hole. You know what this reminds me? It's like the oh my god, it's like with two thousand one. That's like the the black thing. What? Which one? The black monolith. Which just opened like four minutes of black screen. That's <laughs> how I feel of reading this. Yeah. Call back. Anyway. So, yeah. uh, scene three. Mm. Rastas and Setril are picking through the rubble of a destroyed disaster tower and thinking so. Uh, quick tell they are. What they did is Rastas dropped a fucking bomb, i.e., half a hill, on some Azath slash Dragon Tower. They killed the Dragon within, and now Rastas is painting his tiles with them. He's creating his tiles, his new sorcery, yeah. with blood. So he was the master of the tiles. Yeah. So we're gonna get into this. Um, so the scene is generally framed through uh, Sesha's POV. So we're not particularly privy to much information because Sesha is very shy and doesn't doesn't talk very much. Sh- shy, shy, not shy. Whatever. Uh, so he goes on about Erasmus goes on about the history of Israel, how they sprung up from the earth, and how the houses would match the homes of the civilizations close to which they sprung. Which Erasmus like- believes. Yeah. It's like the Azath are also following some kind of evolution, right? Ah, I see that. No, I don't know. But I don't know if it's like actually like I don't know. That's an interesting thought. Like actually. Sure. Yeah. We're not convinced. Okay. Yeah. So Arastas believes that they this is the uh, this constitutes the struggle towards order, you know, evolution and whatnot. So he considers it to be both laudable and pathetic. To make a long story short. Arastas claims that the indifferent cruelty of the universe always wins out in the end, and our pathetic, asser- um, our pathetic assertions otherwise are substance constructed as argument, as if by our very existence we are proof to the contrary. Arastas is unimpressed, and so am I. <laughs> no, listen, Nature... you see, these mm-hmm. guys would not have lasted long without creating their own flesh and blood, isn't it? These Azatanai were mm-hmm. probably incorporeal in essence, and they've created these structures to stay on. Is what I thought. Hmm? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's a maybe. So, yeah, nature in Erasmus' mind always wins out in the end. In his view, the only arguments worth having are those with the wager being life or death. 
elves are meaningless. And Setchel remarks that he won this particular argument uh, against a certain dragon living in its solitary tower. Seems that Erastus has something against them. There is, however, this, a method... No? What? Even this doesn't make me angry about Erastus. Really? No. Okay. I mean, I'm supposed to, I can see that, but for some reason... It's like, so much happens, right? Like, you get the tide, you get some order out of this. <laughs> Do the ends justify this means? Maybe. So sorry. there is semi- no 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 the no, it's no, fine. I'm okay. sorry because sorry. I'm saying <laughs> saying horrible stuff like that. Yeah, it's fiction. So, Let's remember this is fiction. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. So there is a method to uh, to Erastus's madness, ostensibly the creation of the tiles and the assertion of order upon the chaos of cold sorcery, which is interesting because this seems to imply that the sorcery exists through cruel, and how it talks about it later. Something yeah chapter. something about yeah. Something exists, like Cruel has made sorcery, but it hasn't made warrants yet. There isn't order imposed upon them. Sorcery is still being created. Meant, That's why, yeah? I thought it meant warrants are already there, but they're not like as clear-cut as the ones which later get aspected using... This, yeah, this raises the question of what constitutes a warrant. Mm-hmm. Like, to is me, just, you know, when, is whenever a warrant about... just sorcery from Cool's blood? Is that a warrant? Then yeah, sure. Yeah, that's Is a warrant that's, that's, aspected, that's targeted sorcery, anchored by a lint? That comes later, right? I mean, it's supposed to come later. We, I don't think it's happened yet. We, we know because... that, like, that's a thing that, like, yeah, the elaint are aspected to certain warrens in the Book of the Fallen. But and because no such mention has been the only so dragon far. we've seen. Yeah, the only dragon we've seen so far is dead, <laughs> lying on like the beach, eviscerated, <laughs> lacerated. So we, if that's the one, well, <laughs> the words are doomed. So, um, so you know, the idea we have is that holes existed forever, tiles existed forever, and then the warrens came and the cards came. Mm-hmm. Isn't that how we have been thinking? But this seems to imply that this seems to imply the other ways. Yeah. That you know, far that Arastas is using cruel sorcery to create the tiles, and then supposedly the warrants have to come later, or the warrants already exist, and he's using the warrants to. Um, because but, even Seth says something like, "Isn't it ironic that we're going to use cruel's yeah. power?" Yeah, yes, yes, you know, yes. undermine his power. So, so yeah, yeah, it's so, so good. Yeah. Obviously, this is going to be safe for later because you know we haven't actually seen the creation of a warrant yet, and we don't see the dice wielding sorcery, right? We don't see them, like, we have Mother Dark, and, okay, Coria talks about this extensively later, so we're gonna get to that soon, but we haven't seen Cruel Galen as a sorcery being used. We've seen Cruel Galen the Realm, but not Cruel Galen the Sorcery of Darkness, right? That's what the Terran die is for, One, one could argue that yeah. makes amazing hair is a type of sorcery on its own. Presumably, because it's like completely unnatural. You would not have like that good-looking hair after going through the shit that Amanda goes through. So yeah, probably <laughs> we should name it like the 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 hair warren, I guess. The warren of panty. You know him and the uh, spindle, or the two <laughs> users. <laughs> oh, someone should make a hair shirt with Rake's hair. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, digression over. <laughs> so. Erastus is then made aware of the multitudes that will gather for the feast he set before them, and they would feast unknowing of the crimes committed by their host. Such is reasonably afraid, uh, which we know Erastus is not, by the way. Erastus does not know with the virtue of fear. Such does. I, is, it, is it why I like Erastus? Is it why I don't get pissed off at him because he's so brazen about everything he's doing? He's audacious as fuck, yeah. I mean, that is, there is some merit to that. So, Setchel is reasonably afraid because this is their second murder. And if anyone figures out what they've done, save for the dragon, well, they're pretty fucked. Um, Erastus doesn't think so. Cruel isn't aware of them. He gropes blindly. And though Draconus comprehends, he is also somewhat complicit in Garrus' murder. So saying, oh, you guys are bad, well, 
It's fine. Shrug. It's fine. Please stop being bad. Uh, he rides the Lord of Hate, yes, but the Lord of Hate does not necessarily feel any affinity for his murdered kin. Draconis will therefore ride to Mother Dark and give her his gift, blissfully unaware of the effects that may portend, which we know is untrue, but Arata does not. Like, he knows like what the I blood and the chaos within. Where he says, hmm? uh, so that's coming later. Something like Draconis uh, might you know, join up with Lord of the Hate and both of them will go and seek out Krull. Oh, yeah, yeah. Arata will bit, come but... behind us. Uh, they would fight. Uh, they, yeah, they would fight against each other and stuff like that. Which, yeah, okay, cool. I mean, I mean, so instead of Draconis, they take basically Draconis and Krull take Nightchill, right? And anyway, do whatever they they can do. But I think they forgot who the enemy is. <laughs> so, Rastus then proceeds to cover the styles of blood and gore from his jacket, while simultaneously reminiscing about sorcery and ritual, which we've seen before from Triss, right? That the Sheikh would have based themselves in ritual and considers that to be an expression of faith. Uh, the habit of ritual, Erasta says, that comforts the user, and that is what makes them fools. There is some shit about, like, you know, uh, a generation of fools and how everyone's a fool, but, like, the future fools are different than the current fools. It's like, okay, it's just Erasta's being a dickhead. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> so, in the end, the two then decide that they need to flee far into the West, beyond the Donaldia-Sathanai, beyond even the Western Ocean to the lands of the High Kingdom, seeking and to find why the liege of said is kingdom is so beloved by his people. There. That's it. That's it. We can stop reading here. What is your hashtag for this? Hashtag not my hiking. Not your hiking? Oh, is it what you want to say? <laughs> yeah, like, not my hiking. You know, like, this This is a different guy. This has to be a different guy. Come on. Like, these are not the legends befitting of the name of the High King. This is not... This face does not belong to the legend that is the High King. Come on. <laughs> I'll be absurd. With one last look upon the painted etched tiles of Rastus's new sorcery, born of blood, such wonders. Where did all this earth come from? Good point. <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, if you have nothing else to add, we can move on to scene 4. Right, I think we can, but I'm very, very sure in my first time, I did not notice that this is what is happening here. That these tiles are being created. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know, to be fair. Yeah. By this time in the book, we are like so beaten down with everything that's going on. Oh, yeah. We are so lost. And we're still crying over Anestia that it's impossible to focus on such things. We need to take this time. We need to make, you know, this big picture connections to like understand what's going on. It's so clear. He's literally creating ties mm-hmm. from ties. Yeah. From uh, a They're special. Made in Quran to live. <laughs> so, scene four. Korea so, wakes up after being knocked out cold within the tower to find Verandas working on something. Yeah. So how is out, and apparently there's a queue to kill him. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, but Veranda says the whole thing was agreeable to all parties, save for Coria, and did grant her a good night's sleep. So really, everyone's happy, save yeah. for Coria. Finally, she does agree. Yeah, it was, it was fine. I had a good night's sleep. So Veranda descends then on a long tirade about oblivion, which boils down to only idiots consider times oblivion to be a victory. No, no. The seduction of oblivion is the arguments are senseless. Yeah, they're senseless. Yeah, yeah. But before that, he goes on about like, okay, <laughs> oblivion. Who against the banal, you know, the, yeah, the lack yeah. of mental paucity, something like that. That's what he says. And just like they're idiots in increasingly verbose ways. Yeah. <laughs> so he considers a treatise on the seduction of oblivion, which prompts Korea to think that how it must truly be exceptional among the dragons. <laughs> Varanas isn't inclined to disagree. Yeah. 
it turns out no, that fire and acid very nice way to yeah, put yeah, things yeah, yeah. i really like this i do not disagree but i find the notion disagreeable because most of the times this is what we argue right whatever we argue it's like i don't disagree but i find the idea disagreeable it's it's really a nice way to put it mm-hmm. yeah so it turns out that Varandas is playing with dolls. And it's those very dolls that Cory has been playing with for most of her teenage life. He's playing poor for no reason. Oh, yeah. Literally, well, he's, he's playing, playing. He's making because dolls. He makes them but, yeah. and then plays with them. Yeah. 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 So she thinks that uh, the dolls were not her children after all and runs away to relieve her bladder on the verge of tears. Varandas then goes on. Coria is Hound's last hope. She was set up on a path by Varandas for a reason. And though the Jack could believe the path was not made for them, Varandas wonders if it wasn't made for her instead. She is, after all, the only Thais hostage among the jackets. We also learned that Dracona has made a sorcery for her, meaning the Thais as a whole. And yeah. that the harsh lessons that Hout it's, it's so, taught her... It's so misleading. He says something like, he has made a sorcery for you when you're talking about yeah, like, Corey but I don't even know him. Well, no, 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 I don't mean you. I mean like the Thais in general. And like, <laughs> blah, blah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The harsh lessons that Hout has taught her are... Oh God, sorry. Are lessons in humility. <laughs> Oh, this is presumably, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Please yeah, don't yeah. skip that about the gift of education. I, oh, I really liked it. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> I kind of did because by that point, I honestly got so like tired, sick yeah. and tired of summarizing no, the whole jackets. Point of education is to provide a safe space in which you can learn to behave properly, behave in a society, get the ideas of concord. So, it's basically mm-hmm. a safe space for people to live and grow. It's not just about learning things, it's a place to grow. So, I really liked that one. So, so. Um, I will save this for the discussion because there's a lot of things to say about this. But so, Arasta sought to take advantage of Dracon's president. Mahadark refused to act, and Coria and the Thais as a whole are blind to their power. Arasta then goes on about the gift of learning and more discipline. This, though, there is an excellent passage worthy of being quoted about the jacket rejecting and rejecting the binary of civilization versus anarchy, which again I'll save it for the discussion. And um, yeah, since I'm saving it, there's nothing more to say about this because I didn't summarize <laughs> the rest. So, based on their actions, uh, despair would stalk the heart of all jackets. But uh, the Lord of Hate, aptly named, took upon him all that despair, all the hate and self-hate, and that the jacket would give him, and thus absolve them of it. Coria does not understand the jacket, because as per Varen does, she seeks complexity where none exists. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it like pointing at us? No, right? Could be. Absolutely. No, no. no. Yes. I think yeah. you are oh, seeking well. complexity. I, I am guilty of this. Yeah, yeah. So, then what? How, in the meantime, is a top variant of this tower, um, watching the battle beneath. He purportedly can't see anything, nor do they know who is actually fighting, but uh, Varandas bored him witless with his endless talk of dolls. So yeah. he needs to set them away to find their own way in the world. Coria has, alas, locked her in the box to keep guard over her childhood. What Varanda says next about letting them free to eventually find their own way in the world and needing to wake up next Leads Corey to think you're mad. <laughs> so he has made, he has named this particular series Nacht, and they will seek out winged apes far to the south. The series given to Coria was named Boliad, uh, and a friendly reminder, if you don't remember, that the Bol brothers were called the Jag <gasps> Boliad by Ola Rethel and Libokath Wallen. I so. did not make the connection. I, I actually went and looked up Boliad Malas, and somewhere I was trying to see if that word comes from. Yeah. Thank you. It's in Thank chapter two of the Cabal God, I think. Chapter two, chapter three. No, I know that the Bold Brothers are related to Jagged Sorcery or something, but this particular, yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, it's like, oh, just looks upon this, like, unconscious, like, ambibol. I think it wasn't like, okay, you're just like, you're a Jagged dude, fuck off. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but yeah. See, yeah. Then 
shouldn't Quickman have some kind of affinity to the Bolt brothers if Korea is Quickman? Which is have they met? Which I don't. Wouldn't they have met in like the Mortwood fightings and all that? Yeah, but like would Quickman like say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a, I'm an Andy now that knows his people. No, I probably not. I don't. You know? <coughs> yeah. I've never accepted that theory, so. So, uh, well, it's fine. You'll be proven wrong next book, so it's fine. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sorry. So, Baron does fears that he's made too many of such dolls, given their flaws. But what is done is done. An adage that Varen does calls the epigraph of tyrants. And that is just beautiful. So, uh, I mean, Korea then leaves him to undo her right? brother. It's done. Yeah. What is done is done. I utter the, what does it say? I utter the, hang on. I utter the epigraph of tyrants without any irony. Are you not impressed? <laughs> yeah, very. And just fucks off. So, um, the thunder intensifies as um, the argument grows fierce and Coria must needs make haste. As she finishes, Haupt has rejoined Varanas, and together they stood against an Azathani, a massive, hulking shape coming straight for them. And Haupt's name alone was enough to deter the Azathani and her fists and knock down towers from knocking aside the group. Varanas advises Coria to thank her master for driving away Kilmandaros, and Haupt concurs as he has weathered the perilous ferment of a woman's fury twice in the past twice. couple days. <laughs> Something scampers away from Varanas' tower. A doll, perhaps, off to find those apes. Yeah. And Varanda says, I mean, how says Varanda has been playing with dolls again. No, with dolls again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, but yep. It, it actually mentions somewhere that it catches wandering souls. So the dolls are actually having some kind of soul, you know. And that's when the yeah, soul mentioned, shifting He mentions happens. that his art is soul shifting, yeah. Yeah. It's really so. weird that he's catching souls and putting them in dolls and sending them to go find the other bodies. So whatever... So is it why the whole... When changing the soul of Hairlock, it says something yeah, like he it's been so many. <gasps> it was Kural Galen, true. It's not them. I... No, I don't like it. Korea cannot be Kripper. I. It was. It was. No, no. I. I remember that. Don't worry. Are you going to check it? No, I don't need to. Okay. Don't. Don't worry. Okay. Continue. So, um, hang on. <coughs> okay. So, scene five. Huh. We're back to the father and son, Arthur and, and Draconis, who are riding through the ruins of the Dragon Civilization, as Howard and Cory did. Parallels! Symbolism! Yay! Um, so, Arthur longs to explore the city further, to um, cut the tether, as it were, and drift away. But before long, Draconis remains before a tower and dismounts. Arthur arrives, but before he enters, he senses that same hulking presence from earlier. Kilmandaros has arrived to speak with Draconis. So she rather easily picks up Arthur, Peers into his face and lays him down <laughs> without a word. It's yeah. Like casually comes up, pulls up, picks him up, looks in his face, puts him back down. Okay, you're fine. Yeah, if you see a small pup standing somewhere, wouldn't you do that? You just pick it up, look at it, <laughs> push sure. it down. <laughs> Absolutely. So Arathan then picks up the reins of Heller and walks into the makeshift stables of shorts. So Draconis is within, now peering at the naked Kilmanderos, as you do. Can uh, I just Arathan, say, yeah, with yeah. regards to the Azathani, clothing optional. Entirely. Nobody's bothered, right? It's like bring your own clothes, and more often than not, it's like discouraged. Just don't bother. Yeah, um, it's it's not needed. We have we have enough prowess as it is already. Might as well show off. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything more to add. This. That's all I wanted to say. So, Arathon has passed her test, presumably. Uh, she senses no madness within him, and Kilmandros trusts, nay, hopes, that Dragonus has killed all of his other spawn. <laughs> but don't worry, they are doing it to each other. So yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, yeah. So yeah, she then asks if Arathan is um awakened. Awakened, yeah. 
which evidently is double entendre because uh, Draconis Blood is a yes and no, or rather no and yes. No and yes. Uh, yeah. And in short, they have a rather long conversation as befits no to godlike beings. Is he awakened or is I'm, he not? I'm guessing awakened sexually as in he, he laid with Farron, but not awakened to his powers. Would, would sexual awakening be something that, you know... Okay. She asks to lay with him immediately yes. after. Please and says, on. "Um, you did not save him for me. So probably that's what he means, no? His virginity? Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I did not know this as I uh, I would be this depraved. And you was, you know, you had some stuff to say about Rick. What do you say? What do you think about Draconis now? Well, Draconis is like, whatever. He's like, okay, yeah, Um, you're not going to lie with my son because, you know, I'm saving over later. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, they have a rather long conversation as befits two godlike <laughs> beings. And Arathon feels rather lost. And to be honest, so do I. <laughs> uh, so, Kilmandaros is also aware of the manners of the Vorgan, though a man she endeavors to use. She says, will you use your weapons, Your, your not your weapons, your followers as weapons? And then Kilmandaros asks, like, are they good for anything else? So, one day, the Vorgan will decree that the land of the Dog Runners is rightfully theirs, and they will end the war between them once and for all. Um, Draconson tells her that Jack could now dwell among the, among the Dog Runners as tyrants. And should the Forlcan dare to move against the Dog Runners, well, have they not suffered this humiliation enough at the hands of the Dice? Tyranny, fuck, sorry. Tyranny breeds, and says afterwards, and Flamandaros counters that scarcity begets strife. It's a very interesting, um, a very interesting yeah, quote. Yeah. If it weren't completely bullshit, because the scarcity, Draconson says, that was indeed manufactured by the Forlcan as, as a justification for their war against the Dice. But by now, this argument has become stale between them. I have forgiven and you, if, but only and if we have Yeah, yeah. Draconis' <laughs> magnanimity is minimal, but it is enough to absolve Kilmandaros <laughs> from immediate retribution for moving against the people under his protection. How grand? Yeah. So, um, uh, how do I put this? Kilmandaros then tries to lay with Arathon. Yay for previous sex stuff. And Draconis says, "Stop it." And but yeah, Draconis informs her. Yeah, Arathon. Ought yeah, yeah. not be her concern, and indeed, he has words that will drive her away. Kilmandaros counters by saying that uh, suzerain, the suzerain makes love fraught when it should be easy, and fill need with intensity when it should be gentle, which is on point. Uh, yeah. Maybe she ought to be the goddess of love, and maybe that aspect will welcome suzerain in his aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She then asks Arathon what she thinks. Uh, what he thinks, and his answer, which is called by his biases, shocks Kilmandaros. She would offer a vastness of longing no one could satisfy. And for that matter, she might already be the goddess of love. Look at and, her. We thought, and we thought Rake was good at flirting. Yeah. Ah, damn. So <laughs> Kilmanaros then again offers to lay with Arthur and so satisfy his longing, which is, you know, for a goddess. No, means no like, right? No means no, but Contras is like Oler, right? He's like, I'm going to lay with you. I'm going, I'm going to get laid with you. And then she kills Raskin compared to this. Which like, I'm going to, like, you're hurt. Let me actually solve you. And then she gives him actual good advice later, which is not something you consider Volar Ethel. Which is like, okay, here's something to kill your son if you ever feel too bad. Anyway. <laughs> so Draconis declines. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you just repeat yeah. what you said? Um, I'm, to be fair, I don't remember Volar at all. Volar but Volar like, the clay figurine, the thing that she gave Arathon, yeah. was the fire. Was I it? am guessing, I'm guessing, if he throws it into the fire, it will kill her son. I don't know. I don't remember. No, I, I refuse to believe this. No, go on. But she does say something like, for the fire, if the love becomes too much to bear. Yeah, yeah, gladly. <laughs> I, she would I, say I that, thought she? I couldn't hate Olaretil more. 
I don't remember this is what happens because like they bring it up later and then like Cordia says like her dolls are prettier or something. Oh. Uh but I don't remember. I don't know if it even comes out. I don't know. No, I I can't stand all of it till now. I I really can't. Next anytime we get her sections, I'm not I'm not going to summarize them. Hey, Arthur um yeah. So Dracon's clients <laughs> Commandaris's offer saying that the Commandaris offers too much and Arthur yearns to be lost, which well, is the don. So Arthur doesn't like that that cheese that he is a don. Uh he 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 yearns not years, yearns, sorry. So he yearns to be unknown to all, so that nobody could track his thoughts in the matter that the Draconis is dead. All except for Fern, his child. Uh Draconis then accuses Herastas from wearing Karish, because you know, Herastas is Akamandaros's half son, I think. The stepson? Stepson. Stepson. Yeah. Stepson. Stepson. Well, How son. can someone be a half son? I don't know. I'm not very smart. Sorry. It's late. Uh, which is again dead on. Uh, for they found power in blood and they walked the land bearing the blood of Karish proudly. Hood yeah. will most assuredly, of course, take vengeance. And though Draconis writes with our of hate to meet him, Kilmandaros fears for his life. He would always rush headfirst into the breach to offer his life in symbolic sacrifice and bear the wounds proudly. There are things not even Draconis can repair, and that, that, he does not seem to understand. You know, this sort of makes me feel sad for Draconis. Seriously. You should! I mean, like, honestly, honestly, you should. I'm not even kidding. I shouldn't. I, I mean, don't I, want to. I've, but, yeah. I've ripped into him a fuckdown, but, like, honestly, you yeah. should. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Kilmandaros instead will seek to prevent Settle from going down this path, and Draconis' advice is... To kill them both. <laughs> you know, Which they give excellent doesn't. advice to each other. You kill your kids, and then he says, "You kill yours." So. Yeah. And I'm though Draconis is complicit in this crime, he understands the necessity of telling Kilmandarstas. They both are too far gone. Their mother seems genuinely grief-stricken by this, but knows it is not Draconis's fault. <clears throat> These two sought to murder for a higher purpose, and it was not Draconis that gave them reason to. Yeah. But if if it was not Draconis that gave them reason to, someone else would. And someone if you not notice the parallels here between, you know, Legion, Satanai, they just need a reason to hate, which comes up later. The entire the entire Tower of Hate is one big metaphor. I, I, I will get to that. I love it. I love I it so much. I did not notice that. I did not even think of that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really good. This cha- honestly, you, this chapter is a pain in the dick to summarize, but it's really good. I know, yeah. I didn't think so, too much about this chapter. I was just, you know, magic stuff, magic stuff. That's all I, I mean, thinking. two chapters ago, were like the most depraved thing in all my life. And here we have like, oh yeah, well, you, should, you should kill your kids. <laughs> and you know, they're not wrong. They're not wrong in saying They're not things. wrong, no, yeah. yeah. So, you know, whatever. So, Kalmandarathan gives Arathan a piece of advice. Do not let your longing blind you to what you own. And at this point, I'm just going to accept that Kalmandarathan, the Book of the Fallen, is like completely different from this one. Different yeah, character. Obviously. I don't know who We're going to agree. Yeah. So, yeah. Before leaving the room, uh, no lies can comfort her now, for her grief and rage is too great, and her wounds born from harsh truths are too many. Arathan thinks on this and concurs with Kalmadaros' advice. Though Arathan may be too easily seen through and can offer no advice, Draconis cannot truly fix everything. Is it enough to be seen to try? Hmm? Hmm? Big boy, Arathan. Does Drake say something like that in Told the Hunt? I don't know. Maybe. Oh. Probably. Anyway, grief is a powerful weapon, Arathan. No? You're not bringing mm-hmm. up that quote? But all too um, often it breaks the window. Do, do, do you want me to? <laughs> no, it's just that oh. line. Okay, that's good. That's nice. Yeah. Okay. So after a few moments of preparation, a thought strikes Arathan. Have the Azath and I moved among the dice? Are they able to disguise themselves? Abyss is Mother Dark in Azath and I? And then, does he ask, are you Azath and I? No, he doesn't ask. 
No, no, he does not know the shepherd. He tells him later, like straight yeah. to his face. He probably actually knows beforehand. I think he knows. Why not? He should know. <clears throat> oh God, that he easy awakened line. Uh, I'm still trying to recover from that. No, yes. There are some questions we should not find answers. Ah, uh, nice yeah, I definitely, agree. I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah, something about um humility. I think it was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't we forget the value of not knowing. Oh no, no, it's like uh, a couple of months. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me yeah, then, so... what value is there of not knowing? Humility, you fool. <laughs> Yeah. Um. So, scene six. Oh my God! There's still so much more left in this. There's two more scenes. Yeah. Only two. Which is about uh about five pages worth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, cut back to Corian Hout with her for- with the former having just woken up from a terrible nightmare, which is about dolls and burying them alive. And there's probably some symbolism there that I'm not going to bother with right now. Again, because I'm tired of just, you know Jagger chapter. He's Crumb, one um, of the Bold Brothers. Yes. What is Crumb uh, made to do in Bone Hunters? I think. Reaver scale. He digs a hole. He keeps digging holes. One after he the digs other. great holes. The best holes. Yeah. And then he covers also. He covers them also. Yeah. And then he like, yeah. Is that, is that important? Are you making like an insinuation here? Am I confused? I don't know. The dolls have been digging something and I don't know. I'm thinking about that. No? So. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, honestly. No, I'm still, I'm still recovering. <laughs> Any guess is better than mine. <laughs> the Boliad dolls being the Bold Brothers. I'm still, you know, I've still not got over, got over that. So, yeah. So, how is his usual sarcastic self? And Coria remarks that she has no intention to visit someone known as the Lord of Hate. Fucking finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone says it. <laughs> so, yeah, how does inclined to agree? But uh, visit him we must. And also, Coria's incessant questioning forces Hout to tell a tale. And he so dislikes telling tales. And this, at this point, I sent more a message saying, "Why the fuck do we bother making episodes on the prelude if these two idiots are just going to summarize it for us?" <laughs> just, now, just, tell us why. Tell us why you don't like t- telling tales. So, um, Coria and how then describe. I could just quote the entire thing, honestly, but yeah. I summarized it as much as I could. Oh sure, sure. So, uh, Coria then Coria. Oh, actually, let me do it. It's a fun. It's a fun few quotes. Hang on, let me find. <clears throat> 719. Thank you. Shit. Come on. We should be telling people to like follow along with the book open in front of them because we're summarizing them so deeply. Oh, yeah. True enough. Instead of watching, there's nothing to see. Okay, yeah. Now tell me, why do I dislike telling tales? Because? Oh, boy. Because they imply a unity that does not exist. Aristotle. Uh, Only... Hang on. Only rarely does life have a theme, and even then, such themes exist in confusion and uncertainty, and are only described by others once that life has come to an end. Tale is the binding of themes to a past, because no tale can be told as it has happened. Coria Delath. Is it something to do with <coughs> the Weisheit's definition of history? Yeah, go for it. Sure. Oh, it's the same thing, right? That's what he says, that history is the present, so... That's why he writes Just nothing so. down. It's still happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Just so. <laughs> continue. <laughs> yeah, what I would... Sp- no, no, I mean, I agree. Because... Oh, you're going to continue the next para. Sure, go on, go on. Yeah. Just so. Yeah, what I would speak of this morning is but the beginning of a tale. It is without borders and its players are far from dead and the story is far from finished. To make matters worse, word by word, I weave truths and untruths. <laughs> I posit a goal to events when such goals are not understood at the time, nor even considered. I am expected to offer a resolution to ease the conscience of the listener or earn a moment or two of false comfort. 
with the belief that proper sense is to be made of living, just as in a tale. By this you mean that you are a <laughs> poor teller of tales. <laughs> Fine. Now please get on with it. <laughs> so. This is amazing, yeah. I mean, you're thinking about Blind Girl and I'm thinking about Ericsson telling us that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's... it's Both. I, I didn't even For think about the prelude at, at this point. <clears throat> so, um, Haupt actually seems to concur with us. So he believes the bluster like and impertinence of youth. Accepts yeah. all her disrespect and her yeah, 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 yeah. It's so anti-tized, right? His his own attitude. I can see why so. people like the jacket. <laughs> yeah. So he believes the bluster of an impertinence of youth is about as valuable as raindrops rushing down a pane of glass. Yeah. Corey's wit never sees a surprise out, and so he goes on. A tale then goeth thusly. What are these Athenai? We don't know. That's done. Yeah. Uh, in essence, the Zathanai are a mystery even to themselves. By Hout's description, Corey extrapolates that they must be gods, or demons, or spirits. And Hout's answer is yes. Yeah. Can they be killed? Perhaps. It's can't few have tried. Many have disa- Some Zathanai have disappeared, but that's about all we know. Um, so. <laughs> sorry. Apologies. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Very sorry. So, yeah. Uh, among the Zathanai then dwells one... Uh, you said something? She asks. Oh, uh, no, yeah, go on. She says something like, is this the tale? <laughs> when he's telling her this. <laughs> so among the Zathanai then dwells one named Cruel, or Karul, or Karul is more Kruel. accurate. Yeah. It's a little stop, so Karul. Uh, once known as Karuli, but now, in passing, in turning around and striding into the past, Karuli must become Karul. So he died? No, yes. Sort of. This is difficult <laughs> enough without your answers, without your questions. So, nobody knows why Kurul did as he did. What he did was bleed endlessly, ceaselessly, and from that blood sprouted forth sorcery, young magic, not yet wholly defined or aspected. And in exploring the currents of sorcery, find they find a definition, which is what we brought up earlier. That horns may or may not exist, depending on your definition of what a horn is. Yeah. Which. I guess it's like kind of the point of soft magic that it doesn't matter if you look too deeply. There is fuck. There's a quote from like Draconis saying exactly this. That like if you if you examine sorcery too deeply, it ceases to exist. It becomes worthless. Yeah. 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 God damn it. God <laughs> damn it, Steve. I don't like. I don't like Steve. I'm sorry. I don't like this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how much you don't like him. Yeah. So yeah. So Coria has heard of such sorcery among the jagged, among the folk, and even dog runners. And Varanda's assertion that Draconis has made a sorcery for the Tyst seemed to support it as well. But where is that power? Has it not the dark the source of it? Koryav is unconvinced. Anything can be worshipped and made into a god, provided adequate motive. In the guise of fear, nah, provided adequate mo- an, ad- an adequate motive exists, in which, in this case, it's fear. Is then the absence of a belief ignorance? As much, Koryav says, as the presence of belief can be ignorant. Which is like, a jab at theism and atheism together. Sick. <laughs> so, Kiruli then, in bleeding, left his blood to trickle, and with it, his power. It is no longer his, and thereby, in leaving his power behind, he became Kirul. Uh, and though the dog runners expected him to die, he yet lives on. And that, in and of itself, is alarming, because Kirul gave freely of himself to others <laughs> what was so prized among the Asathenai, their power. What value, then, being a god, when every one of us can become one. Coria doesn't like us. What value I, being a god when you pull all those beneath you? Yes? Parallels between, you know, a society of high bonds. What if there was, you know, what if you didn't have servants? Oh, God. 
What if we were all gods? No, civilization would destroy then. I didn't think of these things at all. Like, in this last episode, I think I was telling you that why aren't these split into like two books? Yeah, I see. I see now. Yeah. I am shown. So. <laughs> and Amanda Rake, my hidden friend. Thank you. So, Coria does not like this. What yeah. value being a god when you bully all those beneath you? If any pleasure exists from that, it is surely momentary and filled with pathos. How it replies that all gods are perhaps selfish. If they choose to have believers, they force them to cower. And if they don't, they hoard the power and become cruel beyond measure. What god, then, offers gifts freely, without expectation, without any prescriptions or forms? No, it's cruel. It's not what you think. It's cruel. Uh, that <laughs> is cruel's precedent. And that is what his fellow Azath and I dread so much. Imagine, if at a market, like once a jacket used to have eons ago, a hawker would give freely of his wares with no expectation of payment. Why, civilization could hardly survive that. And with that, yeah. Hout's tales at an end, somehow. <laughs> and the two of them marched to the like, Tower of Fate. Is this a story? Is this happening now? And then she says, are you done? Are you finished telling me the story? <laughs> Korea is great. She She's perfect for these jagged people. Yep. Yeah, I didn't put so, you again. No, no, no. I, the scene ends. That's it. So if oh, you have okay. anything more to say. No, they're going to meet uh, this guy. The Lord of Fate. Yeah. Lord of Fate. And what's Arathan doing? So, in the meantime, scene 7. In the meantime, Arathan and Draconis have indeed arrived at the wide-walled, marbled, pearlescent edifice. Definitely sounding like Avalon again. <laughs> uh, they hobble their horses and move in. They enter within and find a rather untended place, like bat and bird guano, whatever. I mean, It looks untended. Typical, yeah. And then some dude walks in from like a trapdoor after Draconis leaves to go get like some chairs or whatever. And then some jagged comes through a trapdoor like, oh, well... They don't I even stare. At, they don't even look at each other. It's like Jagger just walks off with some ink, slumps down on his chair, yeah. and then begins waxing philosophically about the writing materials of individuals. Some yeah. choose to write in blood, and others choose to write in wine. And like I choose to write in ink. I fuck off, fuck off. <clears throat> so Arthur informs this Jagger that um, they seek an audience with the Lord of Hate, ostensibly blissfully unaware that he's talking to him. <laughs> Uh, this Lord of Hate, however, is no sage. He's a fool. He writes an endless suicide note, ah, 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 telling his audience that death is the gift of silence. She asks Arathan then if he too longs for peace, and Arathan just responds that his father will be back shortly. <laughs> so the Lord of Hate then instructs Arathan to inform the taste of um, his father's temper before it is too late. Ooh. <laughs> But Marathon has no plans for returning to Elaine. He plans to stay here, in the Tower of Hate. And so Lord humors him. What material ought to be used to construct a Tower of Hate? Why, something pure and shiny for all to see. Marble, then, or opal, crafted by an animation, skill is unparalleled. So then, what are the levels of hate? Marathon's reply that hatred blinds means that the question in and of itself is meaningless, because... If you can't see it because it blinds you, what need do you have from a level? The Lord then asks Arathan about what he thinks of the aforementioned never-ending suicide note. Arathan notes that it's a joke, and he does appreciate its irony. We'll circle back to this in the same chapter. Uh, hate, then, does indeed blind, and there are no levels to it at all. What then of windows? What of a door? A window, Arathan says, is not needed, because all that lies outside of hate is irrelevant to the one within. A door is similar. There may be a, dwell, a way to dwell within but no way out. And so, the Tower of Hate 
is made of holy solid stone, a monument to biting irony, until someone brings it down in conflagration. None live within. Gothos basically made the Burj Khalifa equivalent of just irony. <laughs> yeah. Draconis then strides within. He pulls a clay jug, that gift that he made the Lord of Hate the last time he visited, from a nearby chest, and sets down a pair of goblets into which he pours one of Arathan the Lord. Arathan then would make of himself a gift to the Lord of Hate, Draconis says, and he is trained in letters, and will thus transcribe Gothos's folly from its current state, which is terribly written, and it's written in Old Dragon, which is a language that Gothos purportedly despises. And uh, he says, he, I would kill myself in the first five pages. Uh, would that I did. Uh, it is indeed written in Old Dragon. Just, okay. If you like Gothos, this this is great. I'm I just, don't like I don't, I don't want to summarize this. Like, yeah. oh, God. So, yeah, he is going to summarize it in the more uh, suitable language, like Retheist. Yeah. The Lord of Hate is um, unimpressed by Draconis' assertions that even he has limits and forcing someone to describe his folly is something he wouldn't wish upon anyone. But Draconis assures him that Arathan's stay will be until he awakens unto himself. Arathan does indeed elect to stay, and upon Gothos' question as, questioning as to why, his response is plain. An unending suicide note cannot be but a proclamation on the worth of living. Amazing. That's an amazing way to say it. I like, I like Gothos. I don't yeah. hate Gothos. Yeah. I'm okay with Gothos. You, you're okay. okay with him. I like, I, I, I really like Gothos. It's like, when he's not being a prick, um, he is much more, you know, Evident, and but even like later in the chapter, like Hood tells him, "Don't say such things, or Gothos might be awakened to irony or mockery or something." <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's like yeah. But anyway, so the Lord says that he will fight against Arthur tooth and nail, moment to moment, and try to air his arguments down. By what strength will he stand against them? Arthur's response of youth is enough to make both Jack and Zathanai proud. Gothos then hands Draconis the key to Hood's chains and asks Arthur about his name. We learn the meaning of it: walk on water. Zathanai. And when he asked, when asked if he now fears water, following his accident, he shakes his head. Draconis, Arathan claims, seeks red redress and redemption in freeing Hood. But Draconis misunderstands. Hood will not chase their asses down in the name of vengeance. Gothos fears that Hood will instead declare war upon the silence imposed upon him by Karis' demise. That is... Hood will gather an army to march on death itself. Which is metal. Let's it's metal about... and heartbreaking. Let's just talk about... And is trying to place blame on what happened to Anastia. Whose fault is it? If Karish has died, whose fault is that? You know, they, they circle back to childhood tragedies and wounds and they're finding causes of causes, right? It's not just, just because Erastus killed her, it doesn't mean the culpability ends there. It's, I am so blown away seeing these two chapters next to each other. I'm seriously, I, I had no idea that this is what I was reading. I didn't either, to be honest. I read like the fifteen, the first, like one. Oh yeah, that was a that was neat. Yeah, and then like okay, I see where you're going with. Yeah. So Gothos hopes that nobody will answer Hood's summons because after all, he's the one to tirelessly flee death, flee death, or flee. What the fuck am I saying? He's the one to tirelessly flee death, uh, but he fears that many shall. The act is impossible. It is mad, and above all, it is audacious. And that's what they'll do. And that's why they'll do it. Yeah. 
How long has it changed? Golf of... Yeah. I can't stop bringing up Gautam. Sorry, I, I know we've gone more than an hour here. But he says, you know, he this is the way he thinks, right? It's a momentary pleasure. The best kind. It's the best kind, yeah. This, this whole is a very pleasure. It's a private joke. Momentary. That's the best kind. You say that. Yeah. So that's how, yeah. that's how they are. They're, they're just contradictions. Static. Then, yeah. Then we shoot. So, following this exchange, Arathon heads below to the trap to find his father. The latter <laughs> is trying to convince Hood of his purpose. His gift will be purged of cowards of blood, Hood will be freed to seek out vengeance, and every Azathanai is outraged, trust me, by Arathon's crime. Hood all but calls him an idiot to his face. Well, no, he does. He does call him an idiot to his face later. Uh, so, now? he, Draconis, took away Hood's love to proclaim his own for Mother Dark, and now he comes to Hood to be outraged and enraged on his behalf, expecting Hood to wield Draconis as a sword. No. Draconis actually pledges to make a sword, which a prison and quench it in victor, which I have no idea what. Do you have any idea what's talking about? I don't know. I don't know. No idea. Yeah, maybe but uh, Hood remains. Yeah, maybe it's like yeah, yeah. He's just gonna ask like, hey, can I um, can I? I know, I know, in a matter like quench it in darkness, can I quench it in victor instead? That sounds cool. Yeah, um, but Hood remains. Yeah, he remains unimpressed. Draconis is like Hood just rips into Draconis so hard it's like super satisfying. Uh, his gestures, Draconis' gestures are his own and have nothing to do with Hood. What Hood will do will unwind all of existence, regardless of Draconis' petty gestures that seek to stroke his own ego and heal his wounded pride. And oh my god, dude. <laughs> He's already dead, please. <laughs> Draconis then informs him that he cannot defeat death itself, but he wouldn't know that, would he? Hood will collect his companions, the grieving, the lost, those wronged by mortality, and wage war, uh, pooh, wage war, 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 upon its injustice. <laughs> None can, nor will they, doubt their resolve. He dwell, then, the arguments that Hood brings against death, as he stands before it, girded for war. Keep your regrets and fears at bay, so that neither party has cause to curse one another, and the water may run clear between them. Voice no sordid confessions, lest Gothos over here and be inside to mockery the prick. Alas, Gothos chained Hood out of love, and now Draconis calls upon him for the very same. Hood, not help then, but think what will happen when Dracon when Draconis calls upon death in his name in and turn it around. Uh, when he calls upon yeah. hope in death. Yeah, 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 got it. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. one more page left. Finish it. Yeah. Arathon has something to add to this discussion, however. He believes that by deed, Hood will prove Gothos wrong. His arguments ring false, and though the dragon could never quite articulate why, Hood's deeds will instead provide answer enough. An answer to display to display that the argument of civilization is indeed endless. He blesses Hood for trying, believing, nay, knowing full well that he very well might fail. Hood weeps at Arathon's words, and so Draconis pulls him away. Draconis, indeed, is beset on all sides, yet refuses to stray from his path, because he knows no other. Alas, that same thing had been said of everyone so far, from Hood, from Commanderos, from Gothos, even all Arathon. It's what all of them say, even when they don't say it. There has to be another way, Arathon thinks. This time, the time is due, however, for Draconis to leave. He must indeed remain on this path, and this path will bring him to Gorkanas. He advises his son to find a dragon named Cynegig. Somebody you know? know? Uh, it's, yeah, we do know. So, yeah. Cynegig has a. Um, yeah, he loves horses. And probably has a sister named, like, Phyllis, but whatever. And to take care of himself and his horses. And to remember that they're. Actually, no, no, no. She hadn't been born yet because she's. Never mind. Uh, and to take care of himself and his horses. And to remember that there lies a world beyond Gothos and the dragon. And to take his leave when he's awakened. Arathon reveals that he knows Draconis is an Azathanai and advises his father to be careful. Aw, aw. It's, uh, please, please. No? I mean, I, I don't think he's saying that out of, like, 
fatherly love or anything saying as a decent human be careful you're hiding a secret and you're doing bad things <laughs> that was Aerith and telling draconis to be careful yeah yeah it, it was not like a fatherly love is not the correct word what do you say for sonly love i don't know how to say yeah, i don't know i think i think there is some oh maybe not so anyway then what happens draconis then rides away disappear first of all uh alaras uh turns into it like slightly different more dark more lurid uh he rides away and then about 10 pieces in here disappears in the portal made of impenetrable darkness yeah topper has the topper's the half-handy guy Arthur then stands alone with no farewell or embrace feeling lost feeling free from across the uh, from across the clearing, two figures, a jagged and a young sized woman, have appeared. They have come for an audience with the Lord of Hate. Halt rather rudely wakes Kothos up. If you're not dead. And uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're not dead, Kothos wake up. <laughs> and Coria seems to shrug apologetically. The two meet, and a transformation seems to have come to both of them. Arathan no longer chooses Nail, our idol, I mean, because he's a man now. He needs to be different. And Coria his nails well, and she tells him to stop. She was now, and it's like, do you always do that? No. And dispose it away. And presumably he won't do it again if I'm scoring here. Oh, oh, please. That's, you, that's you the idea. Have, you are extremely generous. No, no. I think the idea Am is I? that he's still quite unsure of himself without his father. And he I just mean, wants to hide it from us. No, I don't do it anymore. I'm sure he can. You can't break bad habits so quickly. He'll try to. But anyway, yeah. A new era has come for both of them. That's all. So that was um, two goddamn hours of discussion. Holy shit. Um, <coughs> no, if you've stayed with us this long, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> We are thankful. We are also thankful. Well, we're mostly sorry because we have subjected you to a whole host because of things, including Golthos. So no one deserves to be actually. Yeah, yeah, we did. And I hope we did too. Both hope. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, we'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.